Welcome Cow Horse, Full Contact by Ben Self, with host Chris Dawson and Russell Dilday. Cow Horse, Full Contact is a view into the industry from our eyes, seeing some of the people that we've seen and grown up with, and getting to hear some of the stories we've loved our whole cow horse lives and would like to share with you. And along the way, we might come up with a little bit of information that helps you on your journey in the cow horse. All right, well, here we are again at the Will Rogers Coliseum with the one, the only, Ken Wold. Superstar from forever. 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 Hall, <laughs> Hall of Fame member. Yep. Most affectionately maybe known as uh, Brother Jackson's other half. Other <laughs> Top half. Yeah, when I started, you Top know, quarter. I was Ken Wold, the trainer. Now I'm the guy that rides Brother Jackson and <laughs> Pierce Wold's father. <laughs> Is that Pierce? <laughs> Aren't you related to Pierce Wold? Yeah, that's what they say. Oh, yeah, he's the one that ropes, yeah. No, you couldn't be. He's way too tall. <laughs> couldn't be related. It's a strong, bo- strong bottom side there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd shorten it down, but I didn't work. Maybe you did. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you might be supposed to be seven foot tall. Well, he, he's still growing, so I don't know. Six don't five know. now. There's Six no telling. Five. How old is he? Sixteen. Sixteen. Oh, right. man. He's got some. His grandpa's 6'11. Oh, time. So. Wow. But I, they say, the doctors say that. Six five six six is going to be about where he's at. Six five six six. Wow. So he's thirteen foot. Man. Wow. Yeah. yeah just think uh, how tall he'd be if God hadn't turned so much under. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ruined it. We yeah. could have had record. <laughs> he he's plenty tall enough. <laughs> how the one on one. Well, you know the go. problem is now. Have you ever tried to get on somebody's saddle that? Is so long that you your leg won't get over get over. So we're at at the team roping, and I'm if he's got two horses, Dad, jump on my horse. And so I'm trying to be cool. I get on and get my leg halfway up. I'm hanging off the side, and then he goes, "That your dad? Yeah, that's him. He can't get on anymore. He's old." Sure, that's not Danny DeVito. (laughs) Well, I always thought I was tall. I really thought I was fairly tall until I. Got Pierce, and now he pats me on the head, and I realize I'm not very tall at all. <laughs> when did you think you were tall? Well, I, <laughs> I never gave it any thought I was short. Oh, you know, or short. I'm really not short, but I'm certainly not tall. You average. Know? I'm average. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and guys, when I'm riding a horse, I saw fellas that look pretty short because I always taller than them because I'm on a horse. And now I've kind of realized that. Hell, they're all taller than I am. Yeah. You just, you just <laughs> rode bigger horses. I rode bigger right. horses. Yeah. Me and Johnny Brazil, we're as tall as anybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And Teddy, me and Johnny and Teddy, <laughs> we could have played NCAA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. So, so take us back. Take us back to the uh, back to the day. The beginning. Well, the beginnings. The beginning. Well, the beginning was before the Snaffle Bit Futurity. Now, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, right see, mm-hmm. when I got started, I got out of college in 1969, and I listened to these podcasts about different people getting into this, you know, the horse training. I had never been around a horse trainer, never been to a horse show, but I read all the books I could find about it. And one evening in college at, at 
Cal Poly at San Luis Obispo. Harry Rose, who most everybody remembers the name of Harry Rose, was a, was a great, I wouldn't call him a role model, but he was a great bridle horse man. Yeah. You know, we, everybody talked about Harry Rose. But he came put on a little, it wasn't even a clinic, it was just in a little pavilion. And the tight, I was roping calves, I did that quite a bit, and team roped in college. And uh, all I knew was rodeo. And my grandfather traded horses his whole life. Our high-dollar high horses were $150 horses. You trade them for $175, made $25, you're great. And my whole life, they would just, uh, you know, take these, these horses, the Friday night horse sales, and they'd slip me on them. And then my grandpa would sell them broke for any man, child, woman, anybody. Because in a sale ring, a horse won't do anything, so you just right. sit up there. But anyway, that's how I got started. We always had trading horses. But I saw Harry Rose come in, and he had a Vancor saddle. He had snaffle bit, split reins, uh, run a martingale. I can see it like it was yesterday. And he had these horses spinning a hole in the ground. And I'd never seen that before in my life. And I went, that's what I want to do. I was about, oh, probably at that time, maybe 20, <laughs> and uh, just getting ready to graduate. And so I started out my training. I was going to be a horse trainer. And so I bought uh, Ed Cornell uh, called The Great Horseman or The Horseman. So I bought the book and read it. I had always had some young horses I was pulling around on. And so I'd read, I'd take the book with me when I was training, <laughs> and I'd get it out, <laughs> and I'd read a chapter. And, yeah, I'm going to do this. Oh, there we go. And so, but the thing, what happened with me was, is I was so bad when I started that any improvement was so great to me, <laughs> other people were looking at me like, this guy's a dummy, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. Hell, I thought I was the greatest thing in the world because I was always better than when I started because I didn't know how to do anything. And tall. And yeah. tall. I and tall. And tall, yeah. You barely beat me to that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a horse that I bought off the racetrack, and it was by uh, Rocket, or uh, what was it? Oh, I can't remember, but it was just a horse that ran fast. And I messed around with it, and I put it in the Hackamore, which I knew nothing about. And Dickie Gifford, which was Bill Gifford, which was a head of the horse unit at San Luis Obispo, and he was one of the old-time traditionalists in the Rain Cow Horse. He he showed uh, quite a few horses, and then he was the head of the rodeo program. So his son, Dickie Gifford, he was making hackamores, maybe one, and it was about as limber as a Johnson halter. <laughs> and I didn't know any better. And so I pulled this horse around. I worked on it, and pretty soon I got it. You know, it could lope a circle and stuff. And I heard there was a horse show in Santa Barbara. And I didn't know it was at Santa Barbara Nationals, which uh, Clyde Kennedy, uh, everybody just, went to. And I enter it. Just a little weekend show. Now, I didn't know the difference. So I go down there, and I brush this horse. I clean him, and I read my Ed Cornell book, and i am got all the parts. You know, I'm ready. And I walked in there, and at that time, uh, back in uh, the start of the stock horse uh, thing, uh, the exhibitors would go in the ring and stand there because it was just the dry work then. At the, at the eight, what they called the American Horse Show A shows, which was Santa Barbara, Del Mar, uh, Indio, and so forth, so on. So I went down there, and uh, everybody got in the ring, and then it was your turn. You went out and did your raining pattern. But you didn't go outside. You didn't. Once you warmed up, you got in the ring. You stayed there, and uh, everybody took their turn. Well, these suckers were good. They're running, stop, and turn, and change leads. And come my turn, I 
ran into the fence. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. But on the other hand, I never dreamed I was going to be in the horse show. Hell, I was pretty happy about it, you know, and then I realized I had a lot of work ahead of me. <laughs> and so then uh, that was what you did. The Cow Palace was the biggest thing before the Snaffle Bit Futurity. They had the Hackamore Bridal Ladies Class, and the atmosphere of the Cow Palace in San Francisco was just absolutely unbelievable because they had the rodeo going, then they had a Cattleman's Day, and that night, that was similar. That would be equivalent to, like, you know, the finals of the Hackmore class at the Futurity. That was the big deal. It was just fabulous. But the way they did it is they took, I believe, the top five, they had eliminations during the day, and then the top five went to rodeo, and they put it right in between the events. Like you may have the bronc riding going, and then you're up. You know, you go in there, and there, there's 10,000 people there, and they would all scream and holler. They had no idea what they're looking at, but it was just crazy. And uh, so that was the shows that you were really shooting for before the futurity was uh, Salinas Rodeo was a traditional place to go, the Cow Palace, Monterey, as far as the cow horse shows, those were probably the biggest ones to go to. So I can't remember what year it was, but I won the Cow Palace on a horse called Foolish Trips. And that was my first big win. That was like there was 50, 60 horses in the class. I can remember Tony Amaro was judging, and he was my hero as far as when we talk about Hackamore people in our association, uh, you look back, Tony Amaro was probably the best. He, he knew how to make a horse be, just look wonderful in a Hackamore. Plus, he knew every trick there was to make a horse a good Hackamore horse. He always, uh, well, you can't see this, but he always took his fingers and rubbed his nose kind of like that when you talk to him. and uh, Between his knuckles. Between his knuckles, yeah, yeah. like that. He'd talk to you like that. And, and uh, it, at that time, nobody would tell you anything. You, you know, somebody asked me the other day, says, do they get up at night? When you guys started, would you get up at night and work like we do now? Well, that's the only time you'd ever see anything. It wasn't so much you were out there schooling your horse, you're trying to see what they were doing. And they wouldn't do much. And they'd get up at different times so you couldn't see what they were doing. <laughs> and it was all hidden. And then you'd ask, like I'd ask Tony Aramont, I'd have a run of some sort. I said, how'd it look? I don't know. I didn't watch it. I knew he was watching me because when I rode by, I saw him standing there. But he had never say, say anything to you, you know. And anyway, as these shows uh, progressed, uh, Bobby Ingersoll, he says, like, you may get a horse. A horse back then, we talk about these great bridle horses. Really, if you got a horse that would stop and work a cow, that was your show horse. You know, a horse that was on the ranch that maybe one out of 15 would actually lope around and stop. The rest of them were just a bunch of remount horses that you just rode to check cattle on. But if you got something like like I, the first one I ever had that I even placed on, I bought at a horse sale. It was a paint horse, and it happened to have some talent. But uh, I can remember um, Johnny Brazil telling me about uh, uh, what was the good Hackamore horse he had, uh, the Black Mare. Night um, Blue, uh, I, I know this one. <laughs> oh, I can't. And it'll come name. in a second. Yeah, as you get older, you blue mist. No. Or, uh, it was a King Fritz. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a, a King Fritz mare um, that he had, and he told me he says all the other horses I ever had. It took me about 
five, six months for him to even move on a cow. And this little mare, I started off and just like that, she went to a cow and it was just phenomenal. And it, but that's the way it was. And it wasn't, it wasn't like it is now where you get a colt and you ride him for 30 days and you work him on a cow. And if he doesn't move around, you go, oh, he's probably not going to make it. I mean, then you spent time. If you got something like, uh, I remember the sizzling hots, my God, if they were to come here now and you, and we said, Chris, we've got the best horse for you. It's a sizzling hot and you got on it and this son of a gun runs away, runs in the fence, but it would stop <laughs> somewhere. You go, holy Christ, I'm not going to ever ride this horse. Those are the kind of horses we all rode. Sure. And they talk about fence horses because... Uh, none of them were very good cutting horses, and none of them were, some of them were pretty good ranged horses, you know, they had stop and turn, but a lot of them would go down the fence, and I think we all know that a good cutting horse is sometimes the hardest horse to get to go down the fence, because they're always looking at that cow and stopping and kind of looking back, and it's hard to get them to run. Well, those horses would get the pattern where they'd have enough cow, and enough stop, and a lot of guts. And they would hit that cow, and after, you know, a year of doing this, they would kind of figure it out. Well, those were the kind of horses we're riding. They weren't, they weren't good horses. Naturals. Natural horses at all. And that's where, like, when Les come along and he found King Fritz, they were hard to train because they were tough horses, but they could do it. You know, like, you may take a King Fritz and go out there every day for a, you know, two months, and then at the end of that second month, it figured it out, and then it was great, you know, because it could stop, and most of them weren't great cutting horses, but they could sure go down that fence and had guts. So anyway, that's, you know, the type of horses, because when they first brought Shirley checks to the Cow Palace, the fellow that showed it, uh, Christy, showed it in the, showed it in the, I think, the quarter horse cow horse, the quarter horse reining, the open hackamore, and he won all of them. This is the most phenomenal mare I've ever seen is Shirley Checks, and that's when uh, uh, Jack and Linda Baker bought the horse, and then it became one of the great horses. And that's when the King Fritzes, and they go, wow, look at what these horses can do. But it all started from that era, and then they became great brood mares and so forth and so on. But the to win the Cow Palace, like, say, in the Hackamore, to win the Cow Palace and Salinas and Monterey, that was what you, that was the goal. That was the three things that. Triple they, crown. Yeah, the triple crown. And it meant so much. And even today, Salinas, you know, you talk about Salinas Rodeo. It's out on a track, it, but it still has the atmosphere of what it was like then. But but then Bobby come along, I got back to that. He, figured, he come up with the idea that we don't have enough time to train these horses. Because these horses were horses that people sent you and, and uh, you know, you know, three or four months, they want them shown. You didn't uh, have years to get them ready. It was like, here, let's go show. And also, can you, so what, at that time, what's the, who are you competing against with your Hackman horse and your bridal horse? Because well, that's all there is, right? There's right. no three-year-old events. No, there's, there's no nothing. four, it's just. That's it. Hackamore and bridal. Bridal, yeah. And you were showing against everybody. And at that time, you know, it, actually, uh, Tony Amarell, Johnny Brazil, and then Greg Ward, and then Les Vote, Bobby Ingersoll was in there before them. Those were the main guys that were just kicking tail. And they and then Bobby, he started getting better horses. Johnny Brazil, he had a few, always ranched, you know, but he really was a great horseman, of course. But Bobby was, 
you know, and the rest of them were true trainers. They had mm -hmm. horses coming in and kept it going. But uh, Frank Rue, which is in the Hall of Fame, he was a rancher in Marysville, and uh, he was one of the original guys that just loved the rain cow horse. And uh, he had an old horse called Mitch, buckskin horse, and he showed it. Uh, our shows then, beside, those were the big ones I was talking about, but, but all the fairs had little shows. And, like, you'd go to uh, Wheatland, you'd go to uh, Marysville. Red Bluff Rodeo had the horse show, and that's where you would go show. And there would be maybe 10 or 12 in the open bridle and maybe 15 or so in the hackamore, and the non-pros didn't have but maybe 8 or 10 at those times, you know. But um, but there was a non-pro division. There. There's non-pro non division. division. Yeah. And the Hackamore horses were, the age was still 5 and 6, or was it no. 3, 4, 5, and 6? No, or 3, 4, and 5. 3, 4, and 5. Yeah. So you're taking your Hackamore horses. They want you showing in four months, but you're showing against something that's been showing for two years. Tell you the truth, Russell, I never thought, nobody ever thought about that. Right. You went and showed. Yep. I hadn't, I didn't realize that you had yours for I don't think anybody ever had one that long, right. <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> and when we get ready to show, you know, now we got the Kaiser drags and we got this. They'd take a disc and work the rodeo grounds up, drag it. Okay, let's show. Let's go. That was it. That was as good as it gets. Salinas never had any good ground. You know, it'd be sticky and wet. And mm -hmm. Now it's pretty decent. But and that was, that was uh, we were going to all the A shows, <clears throat> And the rain cow horse shows. And we had the south had the rain and then the north had the cow horse. There was Ronnie Richards was the king of the cowboys in the south. And Bobby was kind of the head of the deal in the north. I remember I had a, a pretty good, uh, gotten be where I had a couple of pretty good horses. And so I was working with Bobby. He said, let's go to uh, Indio. And it was right out in the middle of the desert. And that was my first big show to go to. It was, it was phenomenal. I remember all the... Southern California at that time, like you had a lot of movie stars. You had uh, the Western uh, show, like you'd go to Indio. Uh, you, you not only had the, the Rainin, the cow horse class, but you had the Pleasure, the Trail. You had the English Hunters and Jumpers. You had the Saddlebreds. You had the uh, Fine Harness Horses. Everybody was together. And the you got to know everybody. It wasn't like now where... We're the cow horse people, and you don't even know, hardly know a pleasure horse guy. We all, actually, we all had pleasure horses. Like, I had the champion uh, pleasure horse of Santa Barbara, and I had the, uh, had Appaloosies. I had the national champion uh, English pleasure horse at Salem one year. I had the national champion Arabian uh, cow horse at Oklahoma. So, to make a living, you had to have all this stuff. Because there wasn't enough horses no, in any one individual discipline. Nobody ever discipline. thought you had a cow horse barn full of cow horses you better ride everything and give lessons and have kids and have you know to make it work but i was going to tell you the story went down there with this horse and hell he hadn't ever been very far but he could run a stop and i was pretty proud of him well i get down there i had this is how naive i was i'd never seen anybody fence a horse i just always ran and stopped i didn't know you know they didn't have the the tapes and the movie or the videos and everything and these guys were running and stopping and running up that fence and sliding 100 miles. And that's when uh, Shady Chicks with Harold Farron and uh, Ronnie was there, of course. There was so many of them. Well, 
they have the thing that really ruined me is they had an ostrich race there <laughs> and my horse did not like ostriches weird <laughs> <laughs> just who would have thought and he had never it sounds like a lack of preparation <laughs> on your part Ken. i mean come so, on anyway so i couldn't get i well, you know how you take a horse now, and you take quite a bit of time to get them to lope up and down the arena. Well, I didn't know, of course, mine wouldn't run straight because the ostriches are one side and all this <laughs> and that. So I didn't do very good. But I learned how, what, how to get a horse to stop after I saw that. You just take and run those suckers as hard as you can in the fence, <laughs> and they're going to stop. So I get home, and I had, I had, uh, we had started the futurity by now. I'll get back to the start first futurity, but we had started, and I had my first colt for the. It was for the second futurity, and it didn't stop. It didn't work at cow. It didn't do anything. <laughs> but it was a three-year-old, and it was entered, and I was going come hell or high water. And so I thought, well, all I got to do is get this sucker running harder because he's he wouldn't run. And at that time, at the end of my arena, I had it was all. It's all pipe now, but it was boards and and uh, railroad ties, you know, like two by sixes. So I get back, and I am so I think back how stupid I was. So I just get this sucker and I aim him down there and I over and under and run as hard as we can go. And he gets about oh length of this table from the end and he decides to jump it. <laughs> and he hits that thing with his front feet, breaks all the boards, flips over the top. And I land with my legs and his head. I'm looking right at him. And he hit the back of the wall. And I went, Dad, gum, if they do that every time, it's harder than it looks. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to get home and try this. <laughs> them, so, guys, them guys are tough. <laughs> they're tougher than I am. So I knocked a panel one down one time. I was in high school, and we had panels like T-posted and a little slide track there. Yeah. I got a kind of similar situation. <laughs> we not take both T-posts out, end up on, knock the panel over, end up on the other side of it. It's like crossing a cattle guard. And I was like, I don't know that I'm doing this quite properly. <laughs> so maybe I'm not the only one that tried Yeah, it. no, you're not. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the first, after the A shows, which were just, it was fun, but you wouldn't win hardly any money. It was the A shows were put on by the American, American Horse, Horse Show Association. Association. Right, okay, right. and so was there some consistency through those shows? Like you going to the A shows, was it uh, you know the same kind of office staff putting it oh, on? Oh yeah, or? yeah, it, it was, was. Okay, it was the same deal, and they'd have the year end awards, and it was a big deal. Sure, you know, it was like you uh, win the uh, SHA uh, Hackamore deal for the year end, and then uh, the big shows was like Del Mar that was just phenomenal to go to anyway bobby come up with this idea that we need to try to get more uh you know some money and some time to train a horse and the first one was at, at uh, sacramento but the funny thing about that there was eight i believe 18 horses in it and in the first now in the bit. first now for yeah. a bit now when it started we had to uh have the horses mouthed by a vet and had to be uh sound tested they trotted them off and they had to be sound and so Bert Greenwell, who was uh, a vet there that was very active in the rain cow horse, and uh, he did the vet, uh, did the mouthing. This one fellow from Nevada, he had a great big horse. I remember it. They were all lined up there. Pat Heverin. And uh, he was a very good good hand, and he was uh, went on and made the finals at the Futurity at Reno and stuff. But he was a cowboy. That's and, another uh, Hall of Famer. Yes. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. 
but he's standing there and they go to vet his horse and Bert says, uh, Pat, how old's this horse? Oh, it's a three-year-old. I've had it ever since it was two. He says, this horse is eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, they told me it was a two-year-old when they brought it to me. <laughs> I'll never forget that. So, you know, it started out a little shaky. <laughs> and But it was up until, oh, quite a while that all the horses had to be uh, vetted. So let's, we kind of jumped around a little bit. So Kenny, first you get out of college yeah. and you get started. And when you, uh, when, how old are you when you win your first show? The big, the first big one that was a, a I, real win for you. I think, I think I probably was uh, probably about 23, 24. And when so when you, so when you saw, um, when Harry Rose came and did the clinic about, what are you? About 19, 20, 19, 20. 20 yeah. So about three years, you hammer away before you win a show. Well, it, maybe it was later than that. Cause, yeah, because I, I shot horses and was well, it takes me around for a while. Read, it takes me that long to read a book. Yeah. <laughs> it was he probably, was reading a book. Yeah, I was reading I it while I was doing it. <laughs> no, I, I was probably maybe 20. I was in my 20s. I had to be 27, 28, something like that. It, and, took, it, it, it didn't happen <clears> overnight. And then, um, so at that time... All there is is the hackamore and the bridle. Is mm-hmm. it two rein then or not? It's not really I in can't there remember. yet early on. To tell you the truth. I've wondered that if it was a little later. Or I think it was later. Came uh, later. Because like at the major shows, there was just a bridle. No, I tell you what they had. They didn't have a two rein. They had a novice bridle class. Oh, novice bridle. Okay. Yeah. And so this is in um, about what year? Well, that would be in uh, 70... Uh, uh, Two, three. It's probably about 73, 72. I got out in 69. So, no, it was about 10, 12 years before I won. About 10 or then. 12 years after. You graduated from college in 69 at Cal yeah, Poly. Yeah. Yep. And then about 10 years. So, then while you're going along there, you're training for uh, just training law horses by Everything. the month. Yeah, by the month. Yeah. I always, uh, I was shooting horses, always shot horses, and that's how I made a living. And then I'd get, you know, an Appaloosie, and I'd get something, and I'd get something, and and actually, what I got started in was some Arabians, and they were all crazy, and uh, but they wanted to trained. You oh, were training them. Oh, training them, but yeah. you shot all along. I always shot. Yeah. Which We're, kind of a funny job for a guy that tall, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> big tall no, guy. I, We've got another member of our Appaloosa club, though. I know well, another one. Hey, I won the Appaloosie Rain and Futurity and. California six times. Oh, whoa! That's right. That's George right there. And I mean, these suckers would run and stop, and you couldn't turn them around with a plow. <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't turn around. <laughs> that they would run and stop. Those Appaloosies would. Mine ran stop. and would really stop. The yeah. timers, uh, that little bloodline there, man, they would stop. I didn't know. Turning was kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that was all them, but, but I, I. Uh, I took an Appaloosie and won the State Fair Hackamore class with him. Mm. And that Ingersoll just about died. He does not like Appaloosies. <laughs> and when I won the novice Hackamore class there, he was very unhappy. <laughs> so <laughs> early on, is there a lot of breeds at the shows, different breeds at the same shows? Yeah, or? you know, it was mostly quarter horses. Mostly. You know, but you had like at Sheila Varian, she had Arabians yep. and did really well. Um, you know, there be a nappy Lucy here and there, and then there's horses that were just grayed, but mostly were uh, 
or quarter horses. But that's when the, the breeding thing started getting better and better. Yep. Because um, somebody would see a horse that could stop. It wasn't like you would look at it like we do now as far as the pedigree goes. But they'd say, that horse did pretty good. Who's it by? You know, and then that's when, like, Johnny Tibio come along in that era. You know, and all of a sudden, some guys had some pretty damn good horses. And you got to say, well, how is that one bred? And so then even like uh, some of the old driftwood horses, some of them were pretty talented. They were buck and they would be tough to train, but they were, you know, pretty good. So it was just a lot of different type of horses. And at that time, the, the, the um, quarter horse shows itself kind of had an influence, you know, because if they were pretty good halter horses, uh, somebody would try to, you know, make, that's when people were trying to make AQHA champions. So they would do the halter plus, then they would say, well, let's see if we can do a reining pattern on it. And so you had all, all kinds of horses you were working with. And to, but the AQHA is probably more of a, um, a mainstay at that time right. for your training program. If you're going to show, right. you're kind of headed, yeah. headed because that way. Not everybody, the A, the a shows, which I talked about, was the, that was a bigger deal. You know, that's where you went to that. The, those were the big shows. But... To make a living, you went to school and shows. There were little shows around. They'd have, for kids, they'd have a, a little, uh, the pleasure classes and the trail classes. And then there would be the quarter horse shows, which would be around. And they'd have the rain. And, and you'd always have, you may have a rope horse. You may have a, a pleasure horse, a trail horse. Uh, and maybe, if you're lucky, a cow horse. But you had to ride everything. There was never anybody that I knew that had, you know, even Bobby, you know, at that time, he had pleasure horses. Uh, Dwayne Pettibone had pleasure. Uh, Stan Fonson, who won the Futurity, which is a tremendous trainer, they had a big barn of kids with pleasure horses. We all had, and then at that time, there was a lot of uh, pleasure Futurities. Not a lot, but there was a few. We all had pleasure Futurity horses. And you had to learn how to do everything to make it work. And probably you're still training uh, quite a few horses that you're just training for them to not even show. Yeah, you know. Or not so much. i tell you the truth, Russell. Um, somehow or another, I got started with people that kind of wanted to show, mainly kids. Oh. I had a lot of kids that I started working with um, and uh, helping them with the pleasure and and uh, equitation. And, and I didn't know much about it. I'd read a book and what it was all about and <laughs> very literal yeah <laughs> i did but that that's how i got started so it, but with it being so you have to be so diverse probably the disciplines weren't so far apart as they are now either at that time well yes with all the crossover trainers or was well, it I, I don't think the horses were that different good so no one was Nobody no one was, was that good that's so. right because they were so different you know nobody right. specialized and then you got one good one and um uh, and that was the one you went with like i got a mare uh i bought from mel lawson i was in san diego and i saw her and she was a beautiful moving mare and i wasn't the greatest pleasure trainer you know i didn't know a whole lot about it i was learning and i knew kind of how they're supposed to go but this mare probably taught me something that I'll never forget. Her name was Shottish, and she was this big, pretty mare, just packed her face and just loped, just naturally. And uh, I started messing with her, and all of a sudden she was looking like 
the best pleasure horse anybody ever seen. And uh, I took her to Del Mar and I won the pleasure stake on her. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, these horses have a lot to do with how good you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bing. <laughs> it really did. And she went on to uh, uh, Howard Finney, I think is the man's name, that bought her back here and uh, went on. And she, at one time, she had uh, more pleasure points than any horse in AQHA. But that mare showed me that, and I never forgot it because I see – these young guys, they go win something, and they're so proud of themselves, and they're strutting around, their hats cocked, and they're just, boy, I'm the best there is. I always try to, if I win something, I like to put an ad in showing the horse and say thank you, <laughs> you know, because he did it. Yep. It's like last night on Brother Jackson, March of 223 and a half. I'm going to tell you guys, he's the funnest horse to ride in the world. You point him and go. Right. Chris just said it. I was looking at his horse. The most phenomenal fence work. It was just beautiful. He never picked up the reins, went around that corner. He appreciated that. That was a run that uh, you don't get all the time because something happens usually. And he says, it was fun. Nothing fun. went wrong. No, She's good. It. Yep. But the thing that back then when we started, you didn't have those kind of horses. They just weren't very many good ones. The horse that I won the, the uh, Hackamore deal was Foolish Trips. Actually, Kathy Wilson showed it at the Futurity. I trained it, and she showed it. She won the Futurity on it, the Snaffle-Bit Futurity. And uh, when we bought him, he he was uh, by, uh, I, I don't remember who he was by, but anyway, I put him in a halter and trotted him off, just leading him, and said, whoa, and he slid about 10 feet, just trotting. And every time you said whoa to him, he just stopped. And he did it his whole life. He's a phenomenal horse. Oh, he, he was a great one. Anyway, the Futurities come along, and uh, that's what I think improved all the horse trainers. Before that, it was ranch work, show, uh, you put a big <coughs> gimmick on a horse, and you could get it to stop. Southern California, all the horses, it looked like a, you know, it was more of a mechanic shop than a training deal because there were so many different <laughs> bits, you know, and stuff. But uh, but when the, when this three event thing started, you had to learn how to cut. You had to learn how to do the reining, had to learn how to go down the fence. And every year, and the first year I made the finals was 1974. And that was, I thought that, you know, that was, it was the greatest thing. I slept with my buckle. <laughs> but and i hear people now say oh they, everybody gets buckles you know maybe we should eliminate baloney these people there's people young trainers trainers old oh, trainers that right. haven't won one and <laughs> mm -hmm. when they get it it's the it best needs, it needs thing. to be there i yeah. still have it that's right and uh Dang sure so in 74 uh i had a horse that i actually had bred when i was in college so that was i had been out of college for three years because that was a mare it was a heading horse and uh i bred it to lita rojo which was a racehorse that uh, jack bingham senior who was uh, in santa rosa california he was the main trainer there he went to the cowher shows and stuff but he just trained all kinds of horses but he had taken lita rojo who was a triple a running horse and he had won quite a bit on him he was a pretty nice horse and i bred him and i got this colt that was the ugliest thing you've ever seen and I thought, matter of fact, I would show it to people 
and I was so proud of it. And they would <laughs> laugh at him. You know, I mean, he did had this kind of a big head, and he was just awkward looking. And he grew up, and he got better. It started riding him. This sucker could drag his butt in the ground. He wasn't hot because almost every horse you rode back in was hot. hot. You 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 remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody had a quiet horse. Mm-mm. You know, you got to have them hot. So you ran them to death, and they were hard. Well, he was lazy. And at that time, at the futurity, you had two reindworks. You had a cutting, a reindwork, a reindwork, and a fence work. You guys know, remember that? Really? Yes, sir. So, so, rain so when's, the, when's the first yeah. futurity? Well, the first now futurity, futurity was, I don't remember what year it was. It was well, that was 74. 73, maybe 72, 71, 71, 72. So, and it was like that from the beginning, Mm -hmm. cut, rain, rain, fence. And they figured that if you had two cow works, you should have two two rain rain works. Ugh. Wow. Thank goodness times have changed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But it was kind of funny, and Don Murphy was a judge. I'll never forget. And uh, I showed nobody... You know, I really didn't know that many people. I didn't know how to cut. You know, I just, not many people did. You just reined them back and forth on a cow. Right. And so uh, I remember I marked a 141. And so then I showed the rain, and, and I was good. I was really good. But they really didn't notice me. But they started talking about this horse, because I have a picture of him stopping. The ground was probably a foot deep. Mm. And all you can see is his head and neck out of the dirt. I mean, he could just kill the ground. And so it was like people got to talking about him. Went back, did the rain again, and marked 148, I think, on him or nine. And then he come back and he was at 49 down the fence. And if I could have learned, if I knew anything about cutting, I might have won the maturity. <laughs> but I didn't even know. I just kept a cow away from me and rained. And he, you know, but it worked. That's what I still try and do. Yeah. So <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was. It was such, uh, after all of this, really struggling because I didn't work for anybody. I was broke all the time. I had a little two-horse trailer, and I wasn't very successful before then. And I would just go to the shows, and I just knew that's what I was going to do. You know, I never didn't think it was not going to work. But when when I made the finals, uh, it's a feeling I'll never forget. I think the feeling is still there for people and that's what makes this so great yep. is because when you go to a futurity at that time to now, I'm certainly not knocking raining, but they have a lot of practices and everybody's schooling. How'd you do? Oh, I schooled. How'd your horse work? Oh, I schooling today. I'm schooling for the next show. How'd you do in the show? Oh, I schooling for the next show. You come here, you don't school. There is no next show. Everybody that even at that time, it had a stigma in 74 that this was a big deal this was something you wanted to win and you know every trainer there was giving it their best shot they'd brought their best horses and when you were in the top of that then you had accomplished something so but what made it what elevated it came the fact that it was kind of because there were so many events and you had to be good at so many things with the cut and the rain rain the fence well, you or, know, or just the way the payout set up or what? Well, the what payout, like, like I was, I ended up fourth in the, the first maturity and I won uh, $4,200. Pretty big check at it that time. It was a big check at that time, but now you think, well, 
shoot, it ain't nothing. But you know what I really, and I've thought about this, what makes this thing so goofy that we all sacrifice everything we got? We stay up all night, we work all year, you come, you lose a cow, and shoot, it's all over with. Yeah, yeah. It's not the you know, money. It's not the it's money. It's not the money. No, and people have asked me, uh, uh, you, Chris and you, all won, we've won quite a bit of money. But if you are in this for the money, it won't work. You're not going to win. We keep bringing up McDonald's <clears throat> if, you feel, if you need money. That's right. You yeah. can work there. Yeah. You can but be a manager you could, like that. You could that. probably be, yeah. I yeah. Mean, no, you could go up so fast so with fast. way less work. Oh, absolutely. And Addiction. it's the challenge. It's a challenge of the thing. Uh, you have to want to win. You have to have a competitive spirit to do this. And I've seen so many people that, you know, Ronnie Lott, the football player, I read an article that he wrote one time, and it, it talks about being afraid to win. Because if you establish yourself mentally and prepare yourself for success, then you can't think about losing because it's such a horrible feeling. And so you have to go the whole route knowing that if you have a step, you know, if you've really mentally prepared yourself because when you get that high, you get that prepared, everything's ready and it doesn't work, you're going to come down. You're going to crash. And it's going to be a horrible feeling for a while. Now, I look at guys that go through this going, are you ready to show? Well, you know, um, you know, maybe, I, you know, the horse is pretty good. You know, another week or two. I'm probably, you know, another month I'll be all right. You know, but maybe not today. And But they're setting themselves up so that they don't have to worry about losing. And I, I, everything I've ever done is I wanted to be successful. Now, and I really believe in this, uh, like, psycho-cybernetics and the mental attitude and mental preparation for anything you do, but especially for this. I'll lose my confidence, just like everybody does. But a lot of times, if you can prepare yourself and you don't worry about the losing part, you think about the winning part, then it becomes, I'm not going to say easier, but it's a lot, you have a better chance at it. But getting back to the futurity, this well, is... Hold on a second yeah. now. All right, now we got into some good Deeper. stuff right there. Yeah. Some real good stuff there about the mental preparation. And yeah. I mean, this is something that I'm fascinated in. And so I want to go down this trail just a little bit. Well, so what do you do as far as practices at home or at the horse show to keep yourself in in that right mood, in that right groove there. I mean, I'll go a little deeper and I'll kind of talk about myself. Uh, I was away from the rain cow horse for a while. I broke my leg real bad. They didn't want me to ride because they said, if you, you know, you break it, it's going to be really bad. And uh, I had three operations on it. And so I got into raining. That's when I did more raining. And than um, anything, I went back to rain and futurity and stuff like that. But when I come back, decided I was going to do it, I, I had lost all my confidence. You know, I mean, I, I just thought there's no way I can compete with the people, the young guys. This was, this was in the, about 20 years ago. That's when Ramona and I got married, and uh, I moved back to the ranch, that, our family ranch, and trained in there. And uh, I, had, I had literally lost my confidence. I didn't think I could win at a, at a 
rock throwing contest. And everybody seemed to be better than me. It just was horrible. So I went to a, a sports psychologist. And uh, he uh, happened to be a friend of mine that suggested that I go. And um, he was like, he's the psychologist for the, um, we have River Cats. It's a AAA ball team. Yep. And uh, for them, and he does work for the uh, Kings and stuff like that. So he's the real deal. Played for uh, uh, John Wooden and uh, just a great guy. But I visited with him for about once a week for about two years. And uh, I had uh, that little shining spark mare, uh, shiny and dressy. Mm -hmm. I had um, the chick please mare, uh, I think her name Mel, little bay mare. And then I had another one. And I had not been real successful. I maybe come back to maturity, and uh, I think I, I think I might have made the finals, but I, I wasn't really on top. Top of ten on shiny and dressy. Mm -hmm. Well, I was top. I was actually sixth and fifth, and yeah, I won almost two hundred thousand that yeah. year. But anyway, he gave me a cookbook method how to get my confidence back, and I started working on that. And the biggest thing that he, you know, you have to mental image your runs. You have to start believing what you are going to do. And you have to set goals. And I've always been goal-orientated. And uh, every morning from the time that I got that mirror, I had a, I wrote on my uh, the mirror in the bathroom that I'm going to win the futurity. I want to be in the top 10. And I said it out loud every day. I said it to myself. I'd write around telling how, how good I was. You can do this, you know. And because when I bought her, I thought this is the nicest horse that I had for a long time. And I got her home. I'd paid, a uh, customer paid a lot of money for her, 50000 And I lope her across the pen, and I'm going to change her. And she rears up in the air and runs across the arena on her hind legs. <laughs> it was horrible, horrible. I had this mental preparation, and I'd spent 50000 on this mare, and I went, oh, my God. <laughs> so now i got to get back in the mental preparation again. This is honest God's truth. And she turned out to be a great horse, just a great uh, horse. I think you were working for Carol. <laughs> I think you trained her. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to put that one on Jamie Beamer. But <laughs> So anyway, but what I'm saying is that that uh, that the goal you set, the mental preparation daily, you have to think because if your mind does not know the difference between fantasy and reality, so if I think and I see myself winning, and I can convince myself I can win, the odds of you doing it are there. This roping. Last year I missed, and I'll be honest with you, it was devastating. I absolutely have a nice horse. It's one thing about making a mistake, but when you do it, it's hard. And people say about this roping out here, well, it's just a steer stopping. Mm. Buddy, you come and get involved <laughs> in this thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you have to get prepared for this. So anyway, uh, he, he told me one, uh, a lot of things, but one thing that people should remember in every event you go to, bad things are going to happen. That's just natural. Uh, he, he applied it to basketball. He said when, like when Coach Wooden would be talking to him, he said something bad's going to happen in this game. 
but it can't affect you. That's the way life is. You have to just go around it, go on. You're never going to go th through three events without something bad happening. You can't be so prepared that, you know, mentally that you're going to do this perfect run. It won't work. Because if you think that nothing bad's going to happen, then when it does happen, you're devastated. And once you get down, you, you start giving up. You start thinking, I can't do this now. I can't, I can't do it. And every one of us at this table I know has been in those situations, and we all have the ability to think, hell with it. I'm going to mark a 223 or 224 or 225. I'm not going to, you know, if I've got the livestock under me. And so as you're going through your preparation, you realize things aren't going to go right. When they do, you, you, you kind of uh, put it in a compartment, you put it over here, well, that's done. I can't think about that now. Why did it happen? And hopefully you can pull yourself out of that throughout the event. Then if things don't go right, I don't think there's winning and losing. I think there's winning and learning. Amen. You can never, never learn. Actually, by winning a lot, you don't learn a lot from that. But if you make a mistake or your horse does something, then you go, I got to fix that. Now, how do I do it? Uh, I talked to Chris about circling a cow. You, and he talked to you. And I mean, we talked to each other. But when you got a mistake, you can't sit back and go, oh, it's all over. I'm horrible. <laughs> it's done. It's done. done. Stupid I'm going to go sell shoes. Stupid <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just, I always used to say, I'm going to get the salsa makers at the, you know, at the fairs yeah. and, and sell them because I could do that. You know? And everything goes, and I always thought I would get, like, Ramona with a little shirt. How, how did you come to do that? <laughs> what? How did you land on Salsa Maker? I don't know. I, I tell you what, when I go to a fair, the one thing I love to do is go to those guys that sell stuff like that. I think that's a true salesman is uh, taking people out of the street and selling them something, you know, but – that's just like a fraternity horse. Yeah, like a fraternity <laughs> horse. Hey, me and Cody Headland, we uh, we got took out of the street at the AQHA World Show and sold a massage chair. <laughs> <laughs> Happy anniversary, darling. <laughs> but anyway, back to the the thinking. But you you learn by your mistakes, so you so, don't. But let, well, I got to ask. Up, wait before we go too far. So he tells you to visualize a perfect run, yep. but you have to be prepared for it to go wrong. Well, I'm not saying you prepare for that. You prepare for something. To go wrong. That's what I mean. On it, the whole. It can't just be no. perfect right. and there's nothing else. And then I, also add to it, Kenny, a little bit about you can visualize a perfect run, but you can't just come in here on something oh no. that's running off at First home. of all, go, you have to have... You have to have the livestock like we were talking about. You have to have great horses, especially today. You know, years ago, like I was able to make the finals in 74, 84, 94, 2004, 2014. I made the finals 29 times now. Oh, mm. People don't really know that. But mm. I, I'm, I'm kind of the quiet guy that just keeps, I'm still here. That married well. No, I did marry well. <laughs> She's not real rich, but I married well. Yes. <laughs> but... What I'm saying is, is I've, I've learned to uh, think of this as, um, 
as things will happen. And when they happen, overall, I'm talking, not a run, yeah. but just, you know, you may have, well, hell, you may have something happen out in the barn, you know, that is wrong. Your help may get drunk and not show up the next day. Uh, you may have Don't all kinds of things. Don't look at me when you say that, Ken. <laughs> uh, and I didn't mean Have you. I mentioned that I'm unemployable? <laughs> That's why he works for himself now. Yeah. But I'm just saying that things happen at these events. Yes. And you can't let it get, get you down. You got to say, okay, I'm going to go around it. And we all get really upset about things. And you, you try to keep it as even as you can. But, uh, but that's the one thing is, is, is realizing things will go wrong and, and not letting it completely wipe your whole run out. And there's things like uh, a Playgirl's Miss Grace, the night that I was before the finals. I went to change her leads and she wouldn't change. She <laughs> would not change. She says no. And uh, I must have spent two hours trying to change her. I went through everything I knew, and she just finally, finally, I said, the hell with it. <laughs> hey, so this this little portion of the conversation I'm going to dedicate to Spud Sheehan yeah. because he uh, he wants to always check them lead changes before we rain. Yeah. And I tell him, I'm like, listen, I don't change leads at the horse show, like, at all. And uh, darn sure not the night before the horse show. Just because I've heard too many stories like this yeah. to where it is Didn't gone. Didn't change. Didn't change. And then... And didn't matter. It changed fine in the show pen. Well, but I don't even. I don't risk it. Yeah. Well, I or actually after like, that, I, I would be a miss not to bring up if say you lose a tail. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's those no, things that happen. No, no, <laughs> I must tell you a tail. I, I must tell you a tail. <laughs> oh God, that was horrible. <laughs> I did. I did not live through that one. <laughs> oh. That was a different well, psychologist that fixed that we'll, problem. We'll come back to that. So, in a uh, but the, the good thing is he did live through losing the tail, yeah. but then came back around and and the horse ran off from the tail. Oh, I had a false tail in the horse. I ran in his stock. It pulled the tail out. Then I went to lope around. It jumps. My hat falls off. It swaps leads and. Russell and everybody's laughing so hard, and I didn't think it was too damn funny. <laughs> I finally pulled up, walked out, told them to all get, and then that was not one of my better days. <laughs> but you, but he, but he had to keep showing other horses. Oh, yeah. That's the point. That's right. That I segmented that, and out. I and I knew that Russell was a real. For laughing, <laughs> and I just went on. <laughs> uh, that's why I give bile gel to all my horses, and I don't fool with false tails anymore. <laughs> or biomane, I guess it's called. But anyway, you should probably but, get those sponsors right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but things like that happen, happen, and it can't completely wreck things. I think I, I probably had a decent show there, but. Mm-hmm. That was that was one of the things that happens, but that the other thing that uh, that he showed me that that people that listen to this might get something out of. He he says, middle image the best runs you've ever had. Get that in your mind, and uh, and put it to the horse. Like I had a horse called Dazzling Doc years ago that uh, won the Derby in the 
we won a lot. We won the range work at Reno and and stuff. He's just a phenomenal horse. And I love the horse, and he just, when, when I think of a range work, I think of him. You know, he just was really good. And and so I put the horses that I had my best runs in my mind. Now that I got Brother Jackson, it's the fence work on him, you know. But so I, before I show, I mental image those runs. I, I see them. I see how good it was, how well I did. And I get myself ready to go. And then when I show, it takes that nervousness out of me because I know that I can do it. I've done it before. Mm-hmm. And even if you haven't had a, a tremendous success, somewhere, even in your practice or somewhere, you had that horse stop hard, turn around. So think about that run. Don't, do not think about what could happen. Think about what will happen. Absolutely. Mm. You know, because you worry about what's going to happen, it's probably going to happen. Yeah. I tell my non-pros all the time, you know, or anybody that, I mean, you run one down there and you hope this rascal stops. You're probably not going to stop. It's not stopping. Nope. Like, you've got to run down there and dare that son of a gun to not stop. That's right. And With authority. then you can go hit it. And you better believe, mister, I mean, yeah. to your soul, that you better believe that this is going to happen. And absolutely, like say, and if you go in there with any apprehension, it, you'll find out. Yeah, what yeah. Do they say whether you can or you can't. Whatever, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah, and it's kind of the same deal right there. Like so, when well, you see a lot of people that make a mistake, and then the rest of that run, yep. that if they continue the run, it's incredible. You know, you know what I tell people is don't take it out of the judge's hands. Yep. You know, I've judged the maturity three times and I've judged a lot of things, but there's not one person that walks in this ring that I don't want to win when I'm judging. I'm not up there to say, I don't want Chris to win or I don't want you to win. No, I want you all to win. So when you go in there and make a mistake and it's a dumb mistake, you know, you're not prepared mentally or you're not prepared, not prepared, not prepared. Then you've taken it out of my hands. I can't help you. And when you're showing a lot of times, it feels a lot worse than it looks. Mm. Amen. Sell it to the judge. Don't ever you, quit. Yeah, if like one of the biggest things I think that happens when you're showing is when you're loping a circle and a horse drops its shoulder to the inside, it feels like all it feels terrible. Most of the time, from the judge's deal, you can't see it. You can't even see it. No can't idea. even tell it. No happened. idea. Unless, unless the guy goes to unless messing around. Start fixing it. <laughs> trying to fix it. Picking up, pulling, jerking. This. Then they you've t- told me told that them. something's going wrong. Hey, hold on now. We're It's all fun and games. And, like, we need to – I'm for sharing the mental aspect. But uh, we need to be careful with giving these secrets away too much. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, He's people, as old as he is, it's yeah. all right. Well, it's not for the rest of us, though. <laughs> No, but this is something that people, uh, it's, you know, the number one thing you have to, you have to train your horse as great as you can and then believe that you're going to do well. It's not a secret. I mean, anybody can do it. You just have to think, hey, today's my day. Let's go. Let's go. And if you have a horse that you really love, that you really had a good run on, think about how you did it. And then that's going to help you, you get prepared for it. You know, and you're like you're talking about the shoulder dropping. I had a mare a couple of years ago that Chris, I got her from Chris. She's a little tough, 
And she packed her head high, and she throwed her shoulders around, and, oh, dang. She, my, wife, she was a, my, was, my wife wrote her more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing I was sure of, she would never plus the circles. Would not do it. Her head's too high. She's dro- She drops her shoulders all the time. Mm-hmm. I go to the fraternity, and I just send her around there and just forget about us. Figure it's at minus half or zero at best, and just go. She pluses her circles all the time. Yeah. But I did not. I had given up on it, so I didn't even try to fix it. I just tried to go a little bit faster in the big ones, a little small, a little uh, slower in the small ones, and let. And she was a big stopper. I was mm-hmm. just relying on that. But I didn't show it, and I could not believe I go to the card, and they're plussing it. Yeah. Had I tried to keep that shoulder up, they would have seen it, and it all would have been yeah. no good. But Don't show what's wrong. Yeah. But kind of back to this mental preparation that year on those horses, they weren't uh, great range horses. It never bothered me. Like I marked a, tw- a 12 and a, I don't know, 13. It didn't do real great in the raining. But I just was so knowing I was going to do good on them that I come back, mark 23s and stuff down the fence, and I end up winning, uh, I think, all together, 130 or 140,000. Won the incentive program that year, paid 40,000 uh, for the sale incentive deal. But I really sold myself on this, that this was going to work. And when they mm-hmm. weren't that great in the raining, I just went on. Yeah, but here's one thing I would have to say about you, Ken, and you'd be too humble to say it, but I know that your work ethic is beyond average. <laughs> yeah, beyond average. Like, you know, yeah, he this, works. This doesn't work if you sit like, in the this house doesn't and work watch cartoons just, and just believe it's going to work. And then go, work. okay, all I got to do is picture a good run and it's going to work. You got to go put <laughs> the effort it? in yeah. that you put in. Well, I think the other thing about, you know, yes, I do work hard. Hard. I, but I love what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm 73 years old. I started when I was 22. Mm-hmm. And every day... <laughs> I think of how I can be better, you know, how I can uh, make my horses better. I'll tell you a story. There's a a Jimmy Williams, who was one of the greatest trainers in the world. He trained all the uh, uh, Olympic uh, jumping horses. He was a coach for the Olympic team. And he, uh, you know, he had bridled horses uh, in the early, early, early days. He's dead now. But anyway, uh, I got to know him. And one day I saw him at Monterey walking with a, a suitcase. Now, here's one of the greatest trainers that's ever lived. You know, I mean, he's Jimmy Williams is a legend. I says, what you got in the book, uh, in the box there? He says, oh, books on training. I says, well, who, who do you read? You know, I was a little young, and I said, well, who, who do you read? Who do you study? Oh, he says, I find the dumbest guy I can find that writes stories about training. He said, the guys that are really smart, they're not going to tell you nothing because they're just trying to make themselves feel good. But when somebody asks somebody that doesn't know too much something, they'll tell you everything, and there may be something in there you can learn. Mm. (laughs) That's the truth. Mm. And I thought, you know, everybody, you can get something from everybody. You watch, for example, changing leads. I'm not saying that that they do it right, but how many times have you been to a 4-H show and you see some kid on a pony changing leads 15 times? It changes every damn time. Every time. Every time. Every time. Looking the wrong way. Yeah. Going off here, it changes. Going here, it changes. I'm thinking, I work my ass off. I do all this dressage <laughs> stuff. I do all of this. They pick up the wrong lead when they walk in the rain. <laughs> yes. Yep. So there's something you can learn from everybody. And then in the futurity, 
through the years, if I went, uh, so I say starting in 74, made the finals, there was so much that I didn't know. And I thought, okay, I got to work on this. I'd go the next year. Oh, shoot, I'm better here, but I'm not good there. I, I got to work on that. And then you ha you get your raining going pretty good. And then the fence work, and then the cutting's terrible. And then you got to work on the cutting. But the futurity will make, uh, I think, really a great trainer out of somebody. If you stay with it, and you get serious about it, and you go year after year. Now, it's hard to do because you got to have somebody support you. You got to have horses. and and. Uh, but what I see through the years is you'll get a person that guts it out and they are probably not making any money. They may be working two jobs to have that one fraturity horse and he shows up. He's not bad. Maybe he doesn't win nothing, but he's not bad. The next year or the next show you see him, they show up again and they you think, uh Oh, this guy's not backing down. He's going to keep it up. And then pretty soon he wins a little something. And then pretty soon they get to looking better. And then pretty soon it's Kelby Phillips mm. winning everything. Mm -hmm. Or it's somebody like that that just goes right through there. Uh, and I got a young guy working for me now that's that way. I've had some guys work for me that have done really well. And uh, it's fun to see them excel. excel. Yes. But I've also had some very talented guys that didn't have any work ethic at all that were looking for that great horse that wouldn't take just a mediocre horse and spend three times as much time as he should on it to get to the show pen and you you don't hear them very much no i no. see guys out here now young trainers that just are so good and not just not just talented but working at it mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, we all see mm -hmm. it's almost like a new group of young guys that have decided this rain cow horse is the deal you know tyus he the boy that works for me a young man he rodeoed rope calves and RCA level and stuff. And he come and didn't hardly know how to pick a lead up in a short period of time. He's just done great. Was third at the futurity there at Rancho Murrieta on a, in the Derby. But he saw Doug Williamson go down the fence at Paso Robles. Beautiful. One of the best runs I've ever seen in my life. And he said, this is like drugs. <laughs> it's got me. <laughs> says, I can't go home. I got, you know, I got to do this. And that's what we've developed now in this futurity in the cow horse world is it's such a challenge for young guys, for anybody that you, you know, you're just around the corner from success, yep. but there's so many things that can go wrong that what that does, it almost makes you believe that you can win because Chris is a great trainer, has great horses, but he gets that old cow that runs Takes the wrong direction. He's done. That's it. Uh, some kid that you never heard of gets that perfect cow, goes down the fence, his horse works great that day, he's a hero. So that's what we've developed now, is not only it's, it's uh, great horses, uh, great trainers, but speaking of trainers, uh, I th it's always been the camaraderie in the rain cow horse from day one has been wonderful. When I showed up, not knowing nothing with my book trying to read. Frank Rue took me under his skin. He says, you're going to kill yourself if somebody don't teach you something. <laughs> so, and so, uh, but I mean, out of nowhere, Bobby Ingersoll did the same thing. They didn't have to. Yeah. And I didn't see any other divisions wanting to help me like that. 
But the cow horse thing has been always like that, and I hope it always stays that way. Because, like, when I've gone to other disciplines, it's not like that at all. Right. You know, they'll they'll have uh, called your customer and told them that I can do a better job than him yeah. before you even get home. Yeah. But here, young people can come to this. It's a hard event to do because you've got to learn so much. But the trainers, everybody's willing to help you, you know. And if, so, you'll, if you'll ask, there's... I, I don't even know of anyone that didn't help if someone asked. That's them. right. Here. Yeah. I don't know it. That that day might be approaching though. Uh oh. Russell. Another get your phone. Yes. Another, whatever. Get your phone I can't away. even believe get that flip phone out and turn it off, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> if that's Ramona, you can answer. Yeah. No, it's not it's Alice. Oh, well you I, I, I don't maybe know who Allison you, is. <laughs> But anyway, uh, but the help, like you said, yeah. Ronnie Richards walks up to me on slider and it's like, Hey, I cannot stand to see you on that horse with that hackamore. It was so long when I pulled it, it was hitting him in the, the knot was <laughs> in the throat. I mean, he yeah. doesn't even know me. He knew the horse a little bit just because he watched, he watches everything. But it, well, it took me and got me a hackamore mm-hmm. and put on me in for no reason. That kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it's real, just, that's really here. It, it's not, it just didn't start. I mean, just didn't start here. It's been that way from day one. Right. Uh, Don Dodge, you know, he was uh, kind of a, a hard guy to get to know for some people, but uh, I kind of knew him when he was uh, actually through the rain cow horse and then through the cut. And, and, and uh, he just, I didn't know him and he just went out of his way to help me. Mm-hmm. You know, and just people like that that were, uh, when I was starting, Greg Ward, you know, mm. go down to his place. And well, you didn't understand everything he was telling you. Uh, he was so deep. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, same thing. Can you like, yeah. he's got no reason to help me. And at the time, I had no idea what I was getting from him. And then even later in my career, like, uh, Don Murphy takes a liking to me. We kind of do some clinics. And he has helped me and helped me and helped me for yeah. just because. Uh, I mean, that's not, those are guys that are old enough and, and it's, you ride with your peers a lot yeah. and they help you, but those guys already have done all this stuff. There's really not a t- benefit for them to help you other than they just saw it. They've been through your struggles yeah. and they want to help you. And that's what makes the rain cow horse special. Yes. You know, I, I remember I went down to Greg's, I was having trouble stopping horses and, and he says, uh, lope it to a walk, lope, lope it, it to, to a walk. walk all the time. And, uh. My horse would get tired. (laughs) But, you know, and and then I figured out what he meant, and it was a phenomenal thing. But it took me about a year before it clicked. But, uh, I mean, like you say, he was pretty deep about the way he's phenomenal. I love to watch Greg's hands. You know what I mean? Just the way he held them. Yes. It's just. How about his feet? The cheapest boots, the Justin Ropers. Justin Ropers. That's all he wrote. With no arches in them, in oxbow stirrups, toes down, heels up. Absolutely rode. Absolutely. Ass backwards and everything. No one. (laughs) And his horses were just unbelievable. That's the But you know, I I asked him, I said, How did you, I asked him, How did you learn how to get the suppleness in these horses? He said, I read a dressage book. Yes. That's the truth. Yeah. You know, so I'm kind of putting that out there. Don't think you can't go get some of these books, read them. Yeah. I I did my senior project on the psychology of a horse, and it was, uh, Colonel Hayes uh, had a book. I don't even know where it would ever be, but 
probably the best uh, book I ever ever read on the psychology of what a horse thinks and how he feels and and he, what he was he was the uh, uh, head of uh, the cavalry during the First World War and he had you know trained those horses and worked with them and all this and it's phenomenal. Well, you can just imagine the the knowledge they had. The horse is the link between life and death, and they spend their uh, every day with all of every day with them. He, one they thing did nothing there, but think yeah, it. One thing he talked about in there that we talk about psychology of you know, preparation, but he said he got a buggy horse that a guy had abused real bad, and the horse wouldn't pull a buggy. And uh, he took it, and he spent a lot of time, got his confidence. He got it where it wasn't afraid, and it started pulling. He started, he just he put a harness with just a rope on it and just get it to pull, just to go. Well, after a period of time, this horse got his confidence. He was a great buggy horse. Well, the man that he bought it from, he went and picked it up at the train station like two years later. The guy gets in the buggy, starts off, the horse hears his voice, he quits right there. And he says, a horse's memory will remember all the stuff that happens like that, you know, in in his opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, like when you do something, you have to be so careful because if you do it the wrong way, then as you're trying to fix it, he'll always remember the wrong way wrong to do way. it, and you have to go around that. So that's why it's so important. I, I hear so many of these colt starters, you know, to have never showed a horse, and they ride them for, you know, they start these colts, don't have any idea where they're going with them. And uh, I always felt that the kids, and there are some really great colt starters, but they have need to have an idea of where this horse is going. Mm-hmm. Do you guys yeah. no, believe that? Sure. Yeah, no, all I, I mean... Um, they've so, got to show them. If they don't, I mean, if they haven't been to where they're going, yeah, it well, worries me a little. Colt starting forever before ever starting the showing, mm-hmm. and then go get in the showing a little bit, and it just oh, just changes your outlook completely. Right. And like Greg used to say all the time, the most important days of their life are the first 30 to 60 days. And if you don't believe that, unteach one to lead. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. About this thing that, about the, yes. about the buggy, you know, and I always think about that when I'm training, it's so important to take your time and do things right. And the other, other thing I, I'll make a suggestion is that don't ever train a horse when you're in a hurry. <laughs> no. Like as a trainer, somebody's coming and you get on a horse and you're trying to do something, you know, they're coming. You know I'm just going to do there. this real quick. I do this real quick. It always ends up a damn mess. Yep. Yes. And, and then you get a week to fix that. Yeah. And and then just the psychology of the horse, just what we're talking about. Now you've made a problem because you're in a hurry. you got to undo it. And now you're two weeks down the road, and you would have been better off leaving in the stall and eat hay. Yeah. And yep. Go drink a beer. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see Chris and Russell. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I think the psychology of the rider has to apply to the psychology of the the two have to work together. The other thing is, all of this, we're talking about winning, but winning's not everything. You want to make a good horse. Training and what we're doing, it doesn't do any good if after one show this sucker blows up and he's no good no more. You know, you want, we're supposed to be making bridle horses. I think we're doing a great job. When you watched the World's Greatest last night, there was tremendous horses. Mm. You know, mine's 10. I don't know how old yours, yours mm. is, but I mean, these horses now are lasting. Yep. because our techniques are good because we're we are doing that and 
I think compared to just putting gimmicks and traps and jerking their head off and putting tie downs over their ears and doing all this stuff, it may take a little longer, but you get done, you got a nice horse. But you trap one, you may have that sucker looking great for a short period of time. Till he, the, yeah, till he leaves the trap. Then you're in trouble. So then, so just how great it is with the bridle horses, Kenny, now, you get a bridle horse, you can show for 10 years. Right. You get a competitive bridle horse, you can show top shelf for 10, 12 years well, even. You've done it with Top Cell Raymaker, won a lot of money. With Brother Jackson, Zane Davis won 75000 on him. I got him, never showed him in an aged event. I just showed him in the bridle, and I've won 82000 on him. Mm. That's good. That's fun, right man. There. Yeah, that's really That's fun, fun stuff. So that's, that's how our industry is working now. If an uh, owner can realize that, you know, we may not win the first fraternity. You know, there's horses that go on and do great after that if they're nice horses. But for a person, uh, and as a trainer, you get into this trap. First, you go out and you sell somebody a futurity horse, and everything's beautiful. <laughs> oh, they got this great horse that, you know, and for the most you, wonderful two-year-old yeah, I've ever ridden. It's best the best two-year-old two I've ever, ever. ridden in my life. And you, you ride it for, you know, two years, and you step out, and you've actually done a great job on this horse, and it is a great horse. The owner is excited, and you lose a cow. Well, you don't win nothing. Well, this... Hard failure. Yeah, well, and unfortunately, I think training horses, and a futurity horse, the owners should take part, not in the training, but in watching. Because it's, it's the journey. That's what's the fun part about these futurity horses. There's a lot of things happen out there that aren't great, that doesn't turn out the way you want. But if you've got a nice horse and you see that colt when he's bought and he just is kind of loping around, and by the time you get to maturity, a guy's done a good job for you, he runs and stops and turns fast, and you see the improvement in it and how well he's doing, and you should be tickled to death. you got your money's worth. Now, if the guy's not doing a good job and it doesn't work, that's another story. But I'm talking about the average trainer that's trying his heart out to make it work, that when it actually gets there, you know, nobody wants this horse to do better than they do. And so I, I hear these, you know, I'm very fortunate. I got some great customers. I've had them for a long, long time. And, you know, if I see that a horse isn't going to turn out anymore, I'm probably not going to go. And there's another problem because that customer has, thinks old Shep is going to win. <laughs> and you know that he's probably not, but they keep telling you, we'll write it for another month. And this happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And so then they take it from you and take it to another trainer, and that trainer rides it, and he's got it about half screwed up now. And then they give it <laughs> to another trainer, and it could have been maybe a good heel horse. Yeah. You know, a good one, or a good team pinning horse, or something like that. There's a place for horses. But when you keep trying to, and if a reputable trainer says, hey, this is time to back off, this isn't going to work, then you know, you need to listen to them and find a home for that horse where it's comfortable, where you're not hurting it. Don't you guys agree with me? I, and I feel like, and I feel like you can't, my whole life has been about making a good horse. And there's a lot of them, just like you said, that don't win. But if you did a good job training it, someone will enjoy that horse. And you have a product that at least you can go sell for a respectable price, right. have some dignity in your training deal get another one and go take another gamble shot at the dirty yeah. or go on to the, der or to the derbies or whatever. If you're not doing a good job 
and you've got horses that no one wants, that's when life becomes depressing for the owner, the trainer, everybody. Absolutely. If you do a good job, you can be proud of the horse you've made, even if you don't win. Right. Win winning's not everything. No. It sure makes things fun. Yeah. And but but, but if you've got if you've got a horse that you really believe in that you know is a good one, I've I've had them where they went to to all the fraternity didn't win nothing. Yes. And then people are getting real nervous. You know, they spent all this money. But if you believe it's going to happen, it usually does. Mm -hmm. But you also have to know in your mind if there's a a real problem with that horse, that in today's world you got to be serious. Got to be it. another job. You look yep. out there, you know, like. Oh, hell, in, uh, you know, say 2008, you had a pretty nice horse that could do one event pretty good, get by the others. <laughs> yeah, get by the others. But in 2020, it ain't like that no, no. more. Those horses have to be, they got to look good, they got to move good, then they got to be, they got to do it. They got to be able to cut a cow like a cutter or something like that. Then they've got to, reining is something you got to do. You cannot have a horse that is just mediocre in the rain and anymore. If you can't no. have a horse that's capable of marking a 15 or better, and you're going to try to show in this event, you're in trouble, you're in man. Trouble. Big trouble. You're in and trouble. Like that's your one event that has no variables. That's right. Like really, I mean, yeah, you, you can't give I mean, those points you, up. You're going to give them up every time. Yep. If you can't do the reining to the standards of a 71 and a half, 72, you're. Yeah, you have to. You ain't gonna make it. The the reining is something you don't have the cows. You can get it prepared, and, you know, things happen. Right. You know, you'll fall, fall out of lead or you do yeah. something. But the horse has to have the potential to do it. they, they got to be capable, and if not. And it can't be very hard to get them to do it. Yeah. You, you, look, you look this world's greatest. We just, I mean, we're sitting here in Will Rogers. We have not done the finals of the world's greatest yet, but it takes a. Some of us eight, won't. Eight seventy <laughs> and a half to make the finals. <laughs> you know, like. That's the craziest thing. He's a big shot. Anyway. I know he's a big shot. <laughs> I'm just, I'm shocked. It's been, it's never been more than a 64. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ever. It's getting crazy. No, it's. Hey, and like, it's like the old days when you had to beat, um, so there's 25 in it, and they take 10 of the finals. You got to beat 14 horses. Right. 15 horses now. Four or five of them lost to 52 head of horses. It's shocking. And the level of ability in those horses is yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's there, just, man. it's, it's phenomenal, you know, it's just. But know. I still love, I mean, I enjoy going into the battle. Absolutely. I, I like it so much. And that, nowadays, the the last night of the prelims. That's a party right insane. there. insane. Insane. That's it's as big as making the finals in the old days. And really, all you got to do now is get your check to clear. Yeah. And, <laughs> you, and you get to yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's a you know it it is a true in my opinion world's greatest horseman you know it's a it's a great event the maturity is a great event because it makes somebody do more than one thing and then when you do the three events or four events and have a horse that's capable of marking you know fifteens or better through the whole thing mm. you've got a horse. You've got a horse you know? really good horse and so I, and what a search for him Kenny. What a search. I've been searching for a while, yeah. a long time, and I and didn't make it this year, but I feel like I got a horse that can do it, yeah. and somebody kind of come to, made me an offer a couple of days ago with a decent profit. I'm like, 
you're you're out of your mind, man. I know. Uh, you know how hard it is to find these horses, and then once you find them, they can be a little ATM for about <laughs> ten years. And even if you're not winning, you get to go in there and have a chance to win. It's just the thrill of being competitive, yeah. and that event is so much. Well, like for me to have a horse like Brother Jackson, it's just something that is special to have a horse like that that can. When you say, okay, I'm going to mark a 25 or 22 or 20, it's like marking a 210 on another horse. Yes. You know you can yeah. do it. Any situation, the horse handles. Uh, the roping, you know you can mark a 220 if you catch. And the, the cutting, he does that good. The reining, you know, and, and even as good as he is, you know, he had made a little bobble, 208 in the reining, and, and I had about a 10-point penalty. He dropped out a lead which he's never done in his life. Now, that's something else. You come to this event, things happen that have things never happened before. <laughs> <It> never happened. <laughs> you know, I, I run his circles his whole life. Zane's running circles. I don't think the horse has ever, you know, he hit a little piece of slippery ground. Out went, of went a quarter of his way around. I'm when done. you put the, when everyone's putting the gas pedal down, things come apart. It's, it's a it, lot. It's so intense yeah, here. In the world's greatest... It reminds me of in the team roping. I was, but that was my analogy yeah, right is, there. Is when you're you see uh, <laughs> the great ropers. You go to a a, a ten steer, let's say, mm -hmm. like the BFI, and they're jumping and trying to rope every steer in five. They'll break out. I said, well, why would they do that? But when the dust clears, the guys that win it have done that on on six steers, whatever yes. it is. You you have to get like. Somebody asked me, so why'd you run him so hard? Well, if I didn't run him hard and mark the 219 or whatever that I was going to mark, and I marked a 202, I might as well have not, you know, not 210. Shown. 210, might as well not show. I, I, and yeah, you a, you can't leave any points on the board. I like to say a 70 and a 60 pay the same. That's right. Yes. That's right. It's just like the NFR watching the team roping. There are rounds where you know, in eight places, and everybody's like, wow, I could do an eight, you know? Yeah, yeah you can't do it in that pin. <laughs> yeah. you, you don't understand. Yeah. The wheels are coming off because those guys are throwing from the oh yeah barely out of the and barrier. You know, and if you don't, the guy behind you is going everyone to. Everyone else is. Yeah. And But that's what makes it great that we can, I think, in the world's greatest, unless you have showed in it on a competitive horse and you are competitive, you don't know what those guys are feeling uh, out there is probably the most of all the events that I've ever done in my life. The, the, uh, intensity couldn't get any greater. Yeah. You know, I'll be home with ropers and they'll go, well, it's just steer stopping. Yeah. Oh, you just, just done, you got 90 seconds. Yeah. Who, who, who? yeah back, back in there. Yeah. You, you have done two events and you have to <clears> bark <throat> a two twenty. And you got a catch and you've got everybody in the world watching you. All of a sudden the greatest, you know, what gets me is we have this little event and all of a sudden every great roper in the world standing there watching you, <laughs> right. you know, and, and here you go, excuse my English, but damn. I, I looked up there last year, last year, I'm, uh, my mare had not been roped on a whole bunch last year. And it was Sarah's mare, <clears throat> Linda Mars's mare, but it's Sarah's mare. But anyway, she boxed that barrier a little bit, and I'm late as the Dickens. And here we go, boogity, boogity, boogity to the other end, as fast as everybody. I mean, this cow splits the gates, and we go to the other end. And I am carrying the mail, and I am running out of real estate, and I throw all I got. <laughs> throw all I got, and somehow or another get him roped. I get it on the horn. 
big old sliding stop. And the cow stops, but I'm not tight on the rope <laughs> because we're that far to the end. I've got to back. I've got to back up. <laughs> the cow's trying to get out. The cow's down there standing to chewing his cut at the back yeah. gate. I'm dragging my butt right slide forty feet because we were running. <laughs> Like, well, oh, uh, no uh, flag. Back, 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 back. Flag. Oh, oh, 70. Thank you very thank you, much. Evans. Have a nice day and go on to the next one. Wow. I don't like the, the first time. <laughs> well, I, I, my, I look up in the stands, Ryan Motes sitting like <laughs> front row. And he's like, hey, good loop. I'm like, <laughs> darn right I did. <laughs> I wrote my whole life. My whole life I'd roped. And always you're always trying to be fast and you know and they go the first world's greatest and i think steer stop it ain't gonna be a big deal holy cow just don't miss that was never the thing just yeah. don't miss <laughs> the first loop you throw in the world's greatest i don't even know how i got my hand to open <laughs> when, I, when i wanted to throw it. i have no idea how it went on at all it right. got better later but that first loop hardest loop i is kind of a Funny deal happened to me last night. Last year, I I missed the right horn. I missed the steer to make the finals. It ate on me all year. I have roped and roped and roped the dummy. I get up at night and rope the dummy. I have worked. Oh, I got mad. You know, I throw fits in the arena, throwing my rope no, down, just no. just doing things. But what was funny? This this guy comes up to me and he's a pretty good roper. And he goes, "You rope quite a bit, don't you? You rope really good." And uh, all I could think of is all the times at home I was throwing my rope on the ground and beating my head against the wall. But the time you spend on any of this stuff, you have to practice. Oh, it's yeah. got to be. Have to. You got to work and work and work. Mm -hmm. And if you miss it one year, then if you're serious about it, you work every day until the next year. Mm -hmm. That's what the world's greatest is all about. Yep. Did you actually kick a bale? To pieces one time at the stall. I used to have a temper <laughs> when I was young. <laughs> now, in a set of folding chairs. Yeah, you know, I there was a time in my life when I didn't win. I was very unhappy, <laughs> and uh, now that I've gotten older, I'm so much better than I was before. But so much Rod control. Kelly, who was a, a great friend of mine, he's passed away, and he was a he was a good good trainer. We were at Idaho think it was Idaho. I think I missed, this was a futurity, and I had missed the finals by half a point. Oh, the worst. The worst. I mean, worst. when you go up there and the line is drawn and you're underneath it, mm -hmm. it just takes the wind out of your sails. Well, Six points is better. But I did say earlier, you can't be afraid to win if you're worried about losing, but I also say when you do lose, it's a really bad fall. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I was so mad, and I, I just, you know, I went back to the tack room, and he had his hay stacked in there. And I don't know really what happened. I, I tore his... I think, that's, uh, I think that's a brownout. Yeah. I tore his, uh, where he had all his bridles hanging up down. I beat the hay. I took the deals off and threw it. And when it got done, he walked in. There's hay. There looked like a bomb went off, and it was kind of a story that they all told <laughs> but so I, lock your tack room yeah <laughs> go look at the line i have gotten i've gotten way better way better yeah you know really we're coming to the end of this one of the things that has happened 
as you, and I'll tell you guys, there's two things that happen when you get older. Now I'm 73 now. I'm in good shape. It's harder to get on a horse. Once you're on, you can ride like hell. Start using mountain blocks. The other thing is you learn that when you ride out there, you're not going to do it all the time. And you love it. When you're in the show pen, you actually enjoy the showing. The camaraderie, the people. You start looking at showing and the horse industry in a different way. That the Lord has been very good to me to keep me physically in shape. But to be able to do this at a level that I do it, I thank the Lord every day. And I love doing it. You know, I love training these horses. I don't do it for the money. I don't do it for the glory. I do it because I really love doing it. I love seeing a horse change. I love seeing a horse turn around right. I love seeing a horse stop right. I like seeing it doing without any pressure on it, you know. And I get after a horse. I'm not Mary Poppins. But, you know, what I'm saying is now when I go to show, I don't think, oh, God, you know, here it comes. It's just going to kill me if I do this or I do that. No, I'm thinking, this is going to be fun. I'm going to have my two minutes of glory, regardless how I do. It's my turn. And that fun. And it's fun. I get to show this horse. <clears throat> I get to be a part of things. I get, and I can do it at a level that I can compete with you young guys. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's just, I think that's the biggest thrill I get right now is as far as showing goes. You know? Well, I think, Kenny, like for me, you're one of my idols because you work so hard at it. And being able, your work ethic and how hard you worked at and how much effort you put in it is why you're still competitive at 73 years old. I mean, you and Doug are probably our older ones, but you know, I mean, you guys. Yeah. That, I mean, you're talking about guys that feel like giving up when they're 30. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the, because they're having a couple <laughs> bad years. So how much getting over and older and recognizing how much you just enjoy the act of showing, the act of being here. There had to be some years in there where you're pressuring yourself and feeling yeah. like winning, not winning is what? Yes, yes, you're right. You know, you feel like, and what it comes down to, and everybody's going to go through this. Yes. I don't care who you are. You, there's years when you don't have the good horses. You may have horses. Yes. They just, they may be by uh, metallic cat and this and that. They're just not very good. And you put all your effort in, you get there, and you go, man, have I lost it? That's one thing that all of us have got in common. Every trainer is, it's hard to believe that maybe your horse isn't as good as you thought it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yes. Because, and then you start doubting yourself. You start doubting your training. You think, maybe I can't do this anymore. Maybe I'm just not very good at yeah. it. And you'll go through times when you may go a couple years and never make the final. may go longer than that. You know, if you really look at what's going wrong, maybe it is a horse. Maybe you need better horses. Maybe you need better training program, maybe something, but you try to improve it. And yeah, I've gotten depressed. I've gotten down. But the one thing that keeps me going is I love riding. I love training. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's never a chore to me. Now I'm lucky enough that I got really good horses and I'm not out there beating my head against the ground. Greg Ward told me one thing one time, and I never forgot it. He says, I don't care how bad a horse is, find something you like about it. If you don't, then don't ride it. I mean, it may be a horse that's giving you trouble about this. Hell, look at his mane. Like his mane. Like yeah. something. <clears throat> but you got to like something about the horse. If you don't like nothing about it, 
Get rid it's, of it. And, and you're going when you go out. If you don't like nothing about him, when you go out there, there's no way that's going to be a no. good day. No, no way. So, what would you have told yourself in some of the some when it gets hard and them horses aren't like these? So, say maybe not even yourself. Some kid that's trying to go through the process of getting to where they're training pretty good. What would you tell them when they're having some downtimes? Downtimes. You know, I'd say ask other. Okay, if you're having trouble. Find somebody to help you. Ask somebody else. Get a new outlook on your training program. Uh, see what uh, somebody else may be doing to help you there. And it may be even a ranch horse mm-hmm. that you're having trouble with. Maybe it bucks. Find somebody that rides bucking horses that tell you, how do you get them over that? So you got to ask questions. Because just like through all these years, from 74, say, to now, this industry has changed completely on the, the way we show horses. You know, it used to be, when you walked in this ring, uh, you went as fast as you could go. Uh, you did your circles, you ran down a stop, you turned around. There was no hesitation. You hesitated. You were, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I Wait. think we should try that again. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you one thing about Kenny. I watched some old videos. Raining was way more fun to watch. Oh, yeah. That way, maybe hard you, you to hold your down. horses. I mean, just whoop. Oh, yeah. When you stopped. You started turning, and those horses' legs were off the ground from the turn, and you're running the other end. <laughs> I mean, it was wide open. Hell, it used to be when we walked in the ring, we could do a preparation circle to pick our lead up. Oh, that's oh, what I'm no talking about. Way. Dude, we need to bring Dude, that back. That needs I'm to come all back. In. Oh, I'm that, all in on that, that one. Yeah, that I might be out on the double reining, but I am all in on the preparation, <laughs> yeah. and then, preparation and circle. The lead changes where, you know, you got to angle at the wall. And play, <laughs> you know. So, but what I'm saying is, is we've, I've had to see the difference. And I was lucky enough that I, uh, you know, I went and cut and, Made the final Pacific Coast Cut in maturity. I've done stuff like that. Went back to Fort Worth and and uh, had the rain. And I never had a great rain in the horse, but I made the, what they call the intermediate finals and stuff back there. But I got to a point where I had taken my snaffle bit horses and went to the raining. Mm-hmm. My snaffle bit horses went to the cutting, and they were pretty good. But now it's gotten so specialized that you can't do that. It'd be really hard to take one horse from one event to the other. Maybe a certain horse could. But it got to the point to where if I was kept reining at that level, I had to buy that kind of horse. And then I thought to myself, if I've got a customer that's been, say, 30000 do I want to spend it on a reining horse or a cow horse? Because I don't have the luxury of having right. both of them. Yep. And so that's when I went full-time to this. And that's why it's so hard to do because there was a lot of guys went from the snaffle bit maturity to the cut maturity and did pretty damn well. A lot, you know? yes. And a few did the raining. You took your mm-hmm. horse back to raining maturity and stuff. Yeah, they weren't quite ready for that. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is you tried it. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yes. And that's where we got the knowledge. Like when I went back to raining maturity and I seen what they were doing, it was eye-opening of how things, and I, and I learned a lot from that, just like I learned from the cutting. And so... You had to go out of your comfort zone, and that's hard for me. Uh, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a real talk. I'm talking now, but as you guys know, I'm not a real talkative person, and I really go out of my comfort zone when I have to start asking people something. But if I see somebody doing something that it can help me, I need to know what they're doing. Yeah, and I want to improve myself to that point. And 
And this event, you have to, I think, every year, first of all, once you get a pretty good program where you feel comfortable with what you're doing, you need to keep improving and trying to see what happens. But what, what you don't want to do is get yourself off the beaten path. I always call it like you took a wrong turn and you didn't know you took it. You know, and we've all done that where yeah. we think, my God, this is right. I woke up Why in El Dorado, Kansas one time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Wrong place. <laughs> you know, but if you get off on a, on a tangent of doing something and you're so sure this is going to make <clears throat> everything work, you should come to the futurity and went, oh, man, that was wrong. Whoops. You know, that didn't work at all. Whoops. Little you know, bites. Yeah. Little so bites. you got to be careful about getting too far away from what you know is pretty good. The other thing is, is don't be a big shot and think what you're doing is good when it's not. And then just always going, and then well, that's the, the way horse. I do it. First, the first thing that will fire a person when they come to work for me is I say, uh, we're going to do that. Well, I don't do it that oh, way. Oh, I'm with you, man. That makes it, that is, I'm say, with you all the I way, Kenny. There's one, one, there's one brand on this ranch. Yeah. It's mine. <laughs> and if you don't like it, you don't like the way it is, you better go someplace else. And you've had some great guys come through your ranch. So <laughs> oh, in different, in, in different disciplines as well. Huh? I mean, Arno's done a. Arnold Huntstedler, he, uh, I raised him. He come there was in 15. No Germany. kidding. He, he spent five years with me and grew up there. And uh, great kid. And, uh, you know, one of the best, one of the, I won't say the best, and I don't know if anybody, but Hunter Mincer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal trainer. The first day I, I saw him on a video, uh, he sent me uh, at a ranch rodeo. Phenomenal. I, I think if, well, he's done pretty damn good with what he's doing, but if he would have stayed with this, yeah. tell him where, how, how he could have been. Right. You know? He, he was a great, great young guy, great personality. My mom and him, who my mom lived on the place there, and she passed away. I, I, we had the gathering there, and Hunter lives in Texas. There he was, just a great person. Yep. And, and uh, Kelby, he was a kind of a wild child, and, but a great kid. And they all, all had the desire right. that they wanted to do it. Lance Shield, he was there. Yeah. And, um, I've had a lot of kids, but those those guys were just, they were wonderful. They all had a good work ethic. Yeah. That's one thing they all had in common is, by golly, they got up in the morning and they worked. You never had to tell them, hey, we're going to do this. There was never like, oh, it's time to quit. No, we went till it was done. We're still all friends. But the one thing that, that I do is it's um, very basic. My training program is uh, is very, very basic. And we don't get too far away from the basic type of training a horse. I don't use many gimmicks. I don't do a lot of crude stuff. And, you know, and, and it works for some guys. You know, the, you know, the sham bones and this work for some guys. And they do really good at it. Uh, and I'm not taking anything away from anything that people do. But mine is a smooth snaffle and ride them every day and improve on it. And hopefully they're good horses when you're... Did you ever... So like when the influences came into the cow horse you know when we uh, for a while there we saw the rain inf- influence come in so heavy mm-hmm. did it get you off track for a little bit or did or did you never yeah, go I, down got, that road or you know i say i i use this i've probably got 200 and some bits saying <laughs> <laughs> that is a common addiction <laughs> and 
Yeah, he don't just have two smooth snaffles <laughs> hanging in the tack room. No. But I got one of everything. And you know, the funny thing is, is, you may go along for two years and you go, hey, I will put this on a horse. Mm -hmm. This yeah. will do something yep. good. But you know when you've got a bit addiction is when you buy one, you take it home, and you already got it. You forgot you had it. <laughs> you have a whole rack for those. <laughs> yeah, I've done. I did that once. But in every, in every bit, uh, you know, that's the one. Yeah. That yeah. is going to this make it all happen. This is what I was happen. missing. Uh, hell, if I'd have had that years ago, yeah. I'd have won the futurity. And guess you know, what? Everyone gets yeah, it in about that three, week. Yeah, in about three days in it, you go, oh, this doesn't work good at all. <laughs> yeah, just hang back and see how long your neighbor keeps using it. If he's still got it on in a month, then go buy one. <laughs> no, that's, the influence was, uh, yeah, I saw it and I liked it. You know, like, I started probably, this was in uh, 68, not 68, 78, I think, or maybe 82, somewhere in there. Oh, those are close. You know, but anyway, uh <laughs> had a horse called Hard Rock Knox. He had the style that we have today. He was a uh, kind of a king bred horse uh, by Rocky Knox, but he had a good top line, uh, packed his head just naturally good. And uh, uh, I showed him there and won the rain work uh, that year and marked like 75, 76s, big time. Mm. And uh, he was what I had seen. You know, I never been to the Rain Infaturity, but I just saw it. Dell Wilkinson was judging it that year. I asked him, I says, well, what would I do to get this horse ready to go? And he says, put him in the trailer. <laughs> so, but he was, a, he was a very good horse. And then at that time, he stopped like the horse would do today. You know, he really folded, pushed the ground good. So I got him doing things that not just the pull, like, if you see pictures of horses back then, a lot of them were really elevated. Their front feet were up in the ground. Stiff I, knees. Yeah, I, I got kind of a, a start of that, but then everybody else figured it out too, and <laughs> I got behind. <laughs> <laughs> the good horses like that, you talk about the reigning influence, is I always wanted to see my horses look like that to this day. And I, yep. and I never have been able to... You know, like I think Todd Bergen's great. You know, his horses look good. He's had a style that fits. Everybody's got a style. You can't copy. When I say get help, mm -hmm. I don't think you can go copy somebody. You can't be them. I can't be Chris. Chris can't be me. I can't be you. There's a certain style that you put together, and then you have to believe in it. Mm -hmm. and you have to like it of how a horse moves, how deep you're going to put him in the snaffle, or how. There has to be something that fits you, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to try new things or that you may not you know, try to change it some, but through the years, you just keep trying to make it better and better. The fence work today, in my opinion, because they all talk about why well, those old horses were great back then. There were some good horses. There's great horses now. They don't only go down mm. the fence. They go down the fence with style. They have that look and, and just do things you don't know a horse can do anymore. And then turn around, and usually a long time ago, if a horse was really good down the fence, he was usually terrible out of the herd. You know, you didn't ever hardly see one that could. Doc and Missy, she was, you know, when Bobby won the futurity on her, she ended up being the world champion cutting horse. Well, she went down the fence pretty good, went real good, but not a lot of them. Now I'll see horses cut a cow. I'll use my own horse, Brother Jackson. He goes in there and cuts a cow. If he wanted to be a cutting horse, he would have been a great one. 
and he can go down the fence better than anything I've ever seen. Yeah. We used to not have horses that could go back and forth like that. There's a lot of them now. Now, and the guys have figured it out. They're, uh, it comes down to now, I think the top bunch of trainers, in my opinion, are pretty equal. Some of them are more, maybe more coordinated, maybe a little quicker, but it's who's got the great horses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really. It always comes back yeah. to that. Who's got the great horses? Well, and you could probably, you can just say that from the beginning, Kenny. Absolutely. When I got that dazzling dock, he's a Doc Solano, a Derby. I won the herd work, fence work. I won all, everything on him. I don't know how I trained him that good. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, he just, he, he had a move that with his head and neck and did things that was just phenomenal. He was that great horse. He was that good one. You just don't know when they're going to come along. No. And then you hope you don't mess them up. Yeah, uh, that's right. You can make a, you can make a good horse bad, but you can't make a bad you horse good. I know. <laughs> that's, that's what's true. So before college, I know this is going way back, <laughs> but how did how were you raised? Uh, uh, I mean, you know, you didn't know about the cow horse and stuff because you didn't see it till well, Harry Rose came. Yeah. But how? Uh, what, what did your mom and dad do when you were a kid? Uh, my dad was. Uh, I'm adopted, on my dad's side. So uh, he was electronic engineer, but I was kind of raised with my grandparents. My grandfather was uh, come from Oklahoma. Really? And, yeah, that's where we're from, Atoka, Oklahoma. And uh, he uh, he was a horse trader. That's how I was raised. We always had 10, 15 head of trading horses. At that time, uh, he would he'd go from Friday night auction to Thursday night auction to whatever. He would trade horses. You know, you'd buy one from this guy, and they all were horse jockeys, they called them. And uh, he'd buy Mustangs, uh, and we'd get them home when I was little. And they'd, uh, I remember they'd clip them, and they'd be full of ticks, you know, and get the ticks off of them and pull their manes a little bit. Usually roach them then. You'd take all the mane off of them and take them to sales. And I was raised just kind of messing with them. But we never had a registered horse on the place ever. But I always dreamed about doing it. Uh, it just was something that I just always wanted to do. You know, when I went to college, I knew I was going to, for better or for worse, I decided when I got out of high school, I was going to go to college. I just wanted to do that. I wanted to go to Cal Poly. Well, unfortunately, my grades were horrible. And uh, I didn't know how to study. It's another common denominator. <laughs> Whoops. And I think my first year at uh, Modesto Junior College, I uh, uh, had about a 1.2 grade point average. <laughs> 4.0 in beer drinking. Uh, now. I had a, a fellow that, uh, uh, one of the instructors there that took a liking to me. And uh, he said, I'll, you know, keep them from kicking you out if you'll start studying and I'll help you. And he helped me. And within the next uh, year, I had a 4.0. And uh, I graduated from Modesto with a 4.0 average and then went to Poly and uh, did pretty well there and never, but it was goal orientated. I knew that's what I was going to do. And I've always been that way. So how did you get from Oklahoma to California? Well, my family came out here during the war. Or my grandparents, my mom, they worked in the shipyards there at Oakland. Then uh, my mom always had to work, so I stayed with my grandpa. He, he was always my buddy. But they never had. I always thought that I wanted to learn how to train, how to do, you know, make a horse do something. And it was just, that's how I did it. I just kept beating my head against the wall and always had something. But I was into, uh, as I was growing up, I would match race. Like, I loved race. I thought... I thought when you got on a horse, you're supposed to be running real fast. <laughs> Another comedy. <No, no>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
at this table anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> and the things I did was crazy, and I never even told Pierce some of this stuff. You know, like, <laughs> right. I was... And he's a fan son. of this show, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh. But, like, I went with some relatives when I was in the about the sixth grade, and we went to Cheyenne Frontier Days, and I saw the steer uh, roping, tie-down steer roping. Room, yeah. I thought that was the greatest thing I ever saw in my life. So I come home, and I got a little mare called Trixie. I got a Sears and Roebuck saddle with one, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have a back cinch on it. It's just the front cinch. Right. And so I have... I'm sure it was just a kind of a cotton rope or you know grass rope, and we had four milk cows that we had oh, milk. I used to hate milking those damn cows, but anyway, they all Holsteins had horns, yeah. and so I think everybody's gone, and uh, I get out there and I'm gonna I'm gonna try this event out, and sure enough, I can remember the day when I roped her and I threw that trip. That old that old cow's bag was straight up there, hit her back. <laughs> About knocked my horse down, jerked me down, and uh, I thought kind of another deal where it's a little tougher than it looks. <laughs> oh, and, and then that night when she went in to be milked, you know, then she kicked that crap out of my mom. <laughs> oh, so anyway. That's kind of how I did things. <laughs> that's, that's for having him. She kicked his mom and said, that's for having him. <laughs> then I used to, then I was going to be a bull rider, and we had a, we had a kind of a squeeze chute that my dad had built out there, my stepdad, and you, you could, uh, had a gate that opened up, but it had these bars on top, so when everybody's gone, I'd run the cows in, and uh, I don't know why I didn't put a rope. I always thought I had to saddle them. So I'd get them saddled, and then I would, would open that gate and try to ride them, and you had to duck because if they get you, they'd get you in the head, you know. Then, of course, the cow, you only go about, yeah. <laughs> but you go about three jumps, and the saddle would fall to the side. Then you had to get the saddle off. That was the oh, job. Jesus. <laughs> so that's the kind of, but I'm telling these stories because of one thing. People that do this event, you got to be a cowboy, and you got to have a little bit of grit in you, and you have to not be afraid of things, because if you're afraid, then this event don't fit you. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? And all of us that grew up is about half goofy, you know, <laughs> about things. Have all done stuff. You go, why on earth did he do that when he's a kid? How did that seem you know? like it was a good idea? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so anyway. That's how I got into it, and it was the event that was as, uh, like I was roping calves. Now, I was roping quite a bit going to the rodeos and, and college and everything, and I cut off my thumb, and uh, and I couldn't tie very good after that. Imagine that. <laughs> no, that's the honest God's truth. I the roping, like I hold the rope between my two fingers. Yeah. But you can control that. But when you start tying, it really doesn't Get work. You. Yeah, And then I went too early to Mariposa, and they had it all wrapped up. And I roped a calf and got off, and it kicked me right in the Oh, butt. oh my Lord. And I Ow. thought, I thought. That just made me peel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, but anyway, that's when I kind of gave But how did you cut your thumb off? Oh, I, I was roping, and uh, the, just half-hitched my hand when I roped a calf, and it caught on my thumb. And oh, got rid of that. Got rid of that. <laughs> So you were tied on roping a calf. Yeah. And the but and, and your the coils, coils half, half hitched. hitched it. Yeah. No kidding. 
Well, actually, what happened was it. I had the posts up on the in the arena. They weren't cut off. And as I roped, I roped that calf. It snagged a post. Oh. They caught my hand and popped it off. It's wonder it didn't cut my whole hand off. Mm. That was a mm-hmm. bugger. <clears throat> but I tell you something that was, I'll tell it on myself. I wrap, got it wrapped up, and it's healing up. So I got a, a Favors feedlot. They said, well, if you come down there, and uh, this during the summer, and just check cattle that are on the, you probably know, remember the element, Merced, Favors. Yeah. Anyway, just, you know, check cattle for pneumonia out there in the field. You know, you don't have to do anything other than just bring them up to the barn. So we went up there. Well, it went along. I was helping, doing everything. And we were dehorning some cattle one day. And uh, I was running the chute. And somehow that steer, as soon as we just cut those horns back, hit me right square in the stub. <sighs> and I went down, and there's blood all over my hand. And I'm thinking, oh, this thing just blew apart on me. And I almost pass out, and they've got everybody there, and they're working, and they clean the blood off, and they realize it's not my blood, it's the cow's blood. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me, but boom, it sure did me in. <laughs> but, you know, that happened you know, in 1968. In some ways, I think it's almost made me a better trainer because I can use my left hand as well as my right hand. I've had to learn to use both yep. hands equally well. Had to. Does it was it a tr- any trouble with the say the hackmore rope or the snaffle? No, oh, you know that. the hackmore rope, the worst thing, and it still does that. That little hair rope gets in there and gets in one of those no nerve deals. Those nerves, mm. it's like hell. Mm. But it it doesn't. I mean, it's just something that happened. But that was one of the reasons I went into this deal, is because at school I was roping calves and I was going to rodeos at Polly, and then they I I just you know if I can't be a part of something. I kind of don't want to do it. And so I had a chance to move in up at the horse unit and become the student manager of their horse unit. And then Bill Gifford, and I tell you who really helped me a bunch, was uh, he was a sh- he he taught the shoeing class and stuff. And he sh- he shows horses, shows cattle. Oh, uh, Gene? Gene Armstrong. Armstrong, yep. Yeah, and he was down there. And so the teacher, one of the teachers, and Gene Armstrong and I, every night would play with these colts. And that's where I got my first introduction into really – working with the horses, you know, like that. His wife would be mad because he was late. and We did it every night, but it was great. That's how I got into it, really, is when I did cut my thumb off. It made me stop roping calves and start doing something else. Sure. Well, shoot, fire. Well, we sure appreciate you coming in, Ken. Well, I don't know if... Well, I will say this, that people all over the country are listening to this. And, uh, I mean, it's got to be a big deal. And it's fun to listen about how other people have gotten into this and the stories they have and how the silly things that they do. And it's fun. Well, you're our, you're our first guest that's heard the podcast. I think that's kind of where our timeline sits. Really? So yeah, yeah, you're our first, uh, first guy that's been in and has that feedback for us. So no, no, that's the truth. And this is, uh, like the fellow that works for me, Tyus and Mm -hmm. and my son and them, they all say, you heard this. And like on the way out here, Tyus and, uh, Les Oswald. That's all they listen to all the way out here. I mean, it's get, wow. it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Well, no. And, and, of course, this is how dumb I am. <laughs> I didn't know what a podcast was. And we, I under, didn't, we understand that. <laughs> and I didn't know how Guilty. to get it on my phone. Guilty. So my son sets me up, and we're in good shape. So, right. But anyway. Yeah. But it was, this was really good, and you've got to keep doing it. People really are enjoying it. So, back with a little uh, round two with Ken Wool. 
just got into some stuff last night, wanted to pull on some more threads. We jumped by last night. We were talking, you'd mentioned fencing horses and Harold Farron and some stuff. And I wanted to interject onto that, that he had told me that the reason they started fencing horses was that he was doing the vaulting routines. And if they could teach him to run into that fence smooth and stop, that they could get an extra jump in. That may be. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's what I was, because like I say, we kind of touched on that yesterday, and I was uh, real interested to get your take on that. Because Russell and I were talking after the interview last night, like, man, they were fencing them back then? I, I thought that was kind of a relatively new deal. Oh, no. That, that you know. That's very surprising. Yeah, no. They, they uh, in Southern California, they were, they didn't work the cows. They did more reining. They call it stock horse, but it was a reining pattern. And uh, to go back a little further, if you want to know some real history, Jimmy Williams, I talked to him one time, and he was one of the first guys, uh, they were showing bridle horses back then, a long time ago. He was the first one to start changing leads, he told me. And I believe him. They did a figure eight, which the figure eight is actually uh, started uh, because they weren't working cows, so they were duplicating circling a cow. Mm. And that's how the figure eight started is uh, they put it in the show pin because you showed that your horse could lope a circle, change leads, lope a circle, change leads. And so you duplicated the things you were doing working on a cow is where the uh, rain pattern came from. He laughed. He says, uh, yeah, he says, I just used to really start beating them then because I could change leads. And then they decided that that was a pretty good deal, you know, that a horse went from one lead to the other and not many people knew how to do it. So there was Jimmy Williams, there was this Valdez, which was probably one of the first trainers that I remember of people talking about. And what he would do, and he had a string of horses, but what he would do... Uh, <laughs> if that's Ramona, you can, in, you can go ahead and answer it, Kenny, because... Not with yeah. your headphones on. <laughs> So no, back Valdez. to history. Back, yeah. back to history. So how does any, it get forgotten? Anyway, uh, he would go from one ranch to the other and pick a horse up and stay there and ride and work on them. And then he would take a string. Uh, this was down uh, in Bakersfield, Southern California, and Brawley in that area. And then he would go to another ranch with a string of horses. And Benny Gatron told me a story once that he, he came to his dad's place and he was riding a horse, and his dad gave him a horse. Now, we're talking about head and tail and your string of horses. And, going, and heading out. Heading out. But he had them, and people were, I don't know how they, you know, I don't know how much money he was making, but he was actually had a group of horses he was training that way. and uh, Selling them like salsa makers. But, yeah, yeah <laughs> selling like salsa. So he would own, he would, he would. Ride like, and like trade for a had horse. A, well, if you had a ranch and Chris had a ranch, I'd go to your ranch and you'd say, uh, I want this horse broke. I'd take it with you and ride it for me. Oh, and, they and, would still own no, them. No, they'd still own them. Oh. I, that's where this thing, you know, one of the early, early training deals. And uh, Benny told me, <clears throat> Gatron, he said his dad gave him this horse. His dad gave him this horse and he went off and he didn't see it for like eight months. You know, he's gone. And he finally saw Valdez, and he says, uh, how's that horse doing? Oh, it wasn't worth a damn. It was horrible. <laughs> he says, I sold it. 
<laughs> but, that's, but he says, yeah, you sold it. Well, it wasn't worth nothing. I had to get rid of it. Well, he said, you could have asked me first. He said, well, I didn't know where you were. Didn't know where you were. <laughs> Not exactly have a smartphone in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Did he but give that, him the money? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But that's how it kind of got started. And then the stock horse shows in California, the earlier ones were in Southern California. You know, that that's where it kind of got going. It was like anything else. If you had a horse that you thought was better than the rest of them, you know, you'd bring it to town or go to one of the sh shows they had there and, you know, show it. But Northern California started with the cattle. You know, they were having more cow classes up here, and and uh, it was mostly uh, organized with uh, rodeos. You know, there's always a stock horse class with a rodeo, and that's how we all got going. So, like in the high school rodeos, when these people talk about, uh, well, the high school, uh, the rain cow horse really isn't part of a rodeo. They've been a part of the rodeo since the early days. You know, I showed, when I was young, I, of course, and even now, like there was uh, Salinas had a still has a, a good stock horse class. Um, Sam Ambatista had a stock horse class along with the rodeo. Uh, Reno uh, Red Bluff Rodeo had a stock horse class with the rodeo. It was all part of the deal. And so for the uh, people to say, well, the high school rodeo really isn't, or the, the rain cow horse isn't part of the high school rodeo, they're wrong. It's been there for a long time. Even today, you know, you don't see uh, some of the other events at the high school, at the rodeos but at salinas and i think in uh, calgary places like that yeah it's still part of it i got a saddle kenny that my great uncle won at salinas in nine it says it's got the plaque on it won by uh seagull which is a horse's name in 1931 yeah stock horse salinas rodeo mm -hmm. so salinas. that's even before you <coughs> a little bit yeah quite a bit before <laughs> me but that has always been like i won the I think it won the bridal of the Hackamore there, but that was always the goal is to win Salinas, you know, because for those of you that don't know about the Salinas uh, Cowher show, it's on the track, <laughs> it's right next to the rodeo, and they don't hold back anything. Rodeo. <laughs> I had a mare, uh, a different horse. They used to have the cutting there on the track, and I remember cutting. I made the finals. I was cutting, and my cow goes to the fence, and the guy's riding a bull right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, you don't think that's a little distraction. And Smart Chick Aloha, I won, uh, I think I won the eliminations and went in there, and she was afraid of the flags. And there's flags everywhere. And so I kept her hit out, you know, like I would keep her behind the water truck or yeah, something. Yeah, right. So that she couldn't see a flag. I'd see the flags coming because on the track it's just a turmoil of people and horses and and I keep and I did a good job in the morning. It was quiet. They had run the slack and I think they were open calves. Nothing really. I ride in the ring and it's a a, a pattern where you lope towards the uh, arena. So lope on my right lead. I no more than lope in and at the end of each event they have probably twenty. They have the guy that wins the go-round and 20 flag guys behind you. <laughs> and I'm loping in, and as I lope up there, 20 flags, she just whirls around and runs out of the arena. <laughs> that was the end of my Salinas. So that's the, the uh, you know, and like at the Cow Palace, when, when the rodeo was going there, at San Francisco, this was uh, one of the great shows, but there was a warm-up pin 
This room is probably that we're sitting in is what do you say? 40 by 40. Maybe the yeah, warm up yeah. pin is about 80 by 80. That's it. And that's it. Now, yeah. there's hundreds of jumpers jumping in there. And the show pin <laughs> is about 90 by 90. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a moat around it, but that's where you warm up. There's no place else. And you, you're you riding around for the finals, and uh, I remember uh, Joe Beaver, is, I'm talking to him, and they're getting ready for the calf open, and you're getting ready for the Hackamore class, and the loud noise. And it kind of gets me today is when somebody – we just have too many distractions in our warm-up pit. Oh, <laughs> good Lord. Like yeah. To go back to Salinas, the other thing, people that haven't been there, all the events are going at once. The crowd's up there, and it's huge. They're watching all kinds of things. And on top of all that, it's in the summer. Yeah. And you go over there to Salinas, and it's foggy in the morning, cold. and it's cold, and them horses freshen up like <laughs> I left, you can't believe. I left the house one time. It was 102 in Sacramento. Yes. I got over there. It was about 50 degrees. <laughs> you just dropped. But it's so loud that when you go in there, the grandstands are uh, aluminum, and there's thousands yes. of people in them. And then on the other side is the rodeo. And the noise from the speaker and the people, you can't hear yourself think. Oh, and they'll be screaming. You're, you're, you're just a, a sideshow, so they'll be watching you when something's going on. But there could be yeah. a huge wreck or great ride going yeah. on in the rodeo arena, and they just erupt and pound on the bleachers. And and <laughs> then you had to, I've gone down that fence, and I'm get, I'm boxing ready to go. And the camera guy leaves the. The camera guy <laughs> has a little, a little pit that he stands in right outside the gate, that he's hid from the arena. Well, when he takes a picture, he pops up, <laughs> and so you're running right down the fence, and he pops up, and your cow runs off, and you run off. <laughs> so he's heading to that pit that Kenny's call, talking about. He doesn't know nothing about us. I'm boxing. I'm about to turn the corner and head to him. So our announcer goes to hollering at him, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm the camera guy. I can go where I want. <laughs> so I start down the fence, and I bring that cow back one more time, and then he gets in his pit, and I go. And so he's getting in his pit, like Kenny says. As I'm headed towards him, I'm wondering about him. Well, the saddle bronc horse hits that same fence and comes at me. So I'm going to him <laughs> with the uh, saddle bronc. She just went to the other side, really. <laughs> But it's, you know, but those are things that the history of the rain cow horse has, has derived from that. Mm. That camaraderie of uh, people trying to show in the hardest conditions there is, but yet laughing about it when it's over with. Yes. You know? And then you get there to that particular place, they don't have no stalls. No. They don't have no place no. to put a horse. Nobody figures out, hey, if we put some portable stalls up, these guys, they have pipe pins, and it doesn't matter if you've got a $100,000 stud. If you want to stay there, you either bribe one of the fellas that have the stalls permanently, which is usually full of Andalusian horses. Yeah, they're hard to bribe. And they're hard to bribe. <laughs> and then you got to be careful if you leave your stud there, there may be a lot of Andalusian colts with a lot of roan on them the next year. <laughs> so you got to be careful of leaving your horse there. <laughs> that place is crazy. It's it's something else. But, you know, that that's what's what's made the history of the rain cow horse. But, you know, I wanted to bring out a couple things. Of, I have a son that's 16 
that is showing in the youth world's greatest and uh, he rodeos a lot and so I'm very fortunate at my age to have somebody uh, be blessed with somebody to uh, share my life with my wife and my son and uh, but the rain cow horse has uh, the kids that are showing they're the most uh, and I think it's because of the parents the way they're raised I haven't met any snobby smart kids they're all gracious. They all have the desire to do well. They're not here just to party, but yet they've become friends through this thing. I know Pierce talks to kids from uh, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, friends with your boys, uh, you know, and their social, some of their social uh, structure has come from the Rain Cow Horse. And I think that uh, that the rank hours has to be proud of the young people that's coming up. You know? Yeah, and, and probably can be such a huge thing for the rank cow horses getting in with the high school rodeo. We're reaching a lot of the kids with the same social values right. that we have. And those kids are all coming here and creating a right. nucleus of a place you can go. When I was a kid in high school rodeo, people had manners there. Right. And, and coming from California, it was, it's a little bit of a struggle out there to find right. that kind of a group. But here, you can find You're it. You're getting it. When the Rain Cow Horse went to the high school rodeo and got started, it, it was pretty rough. But you go back to the national finals of the high school rodeo, and it looks like an open bridal class now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tough. and it's it, But the kids are wanting to learn. God, there's uh, the, the young cowboy kids that started off just – running around there's some of them that were bull riders that were trying to win the all around that borrowed a horse just to <clears> run <throat> but even some of those kids said you know there's a lot to this you know how do i get better how do i don't look like a real dummy out here mm-hmm. and they just have evolved and now they're coming back to the rain cow horse now with the junior world's greatest and the level of competition and these kids are getting tougher and tougher but what i'm proud of is they're wanting to learn you know, they don't go out there like I've seen at uh, some youth events where daddy gives me this $100,000 horse and I'm going to sit on it. And when I get done, I want to, I, I don't want to touch it again. You know, no, these kids are out here working at it, yeah. you know, and are, are wanting to win and being, uh, taking the humility. I guess that's what I'm trying yes. to say. And not just throwing a fit you know, throwing their stuff down, tearing the stalls up like I used to, <laughs> you know. Kicking in folding chairs. Yeah. Kicking in folding chairs <laughs> to pieces. So, but it's it's really great. And so the other thing that I'd like to, people that don't know, a lot of these colleges now are putting their horse, uh, what do they call it, the horsemanship program. Yes. Yep. Not just the riding, but the cow horse program. Yeah, and now it's, stock getting, to horse be a, teams. Yeah, it's stock getting to be a scholarship deal for kids. And so now these kids that are doing well here are getting their school paid for. So it's evolving into something that I never dreamed it would happen. Sure. You I know, know, I was visiting with Justin Stanton the other day. He's the head coach up at Texas Tech now, and he's talking about wanting to get his kids down, like, for some of our major events and let them almost do, like, a little mini intern and sure. just provide some help maybe for some of these guys. But yeah. I think it's super cool to see him trying to push them college kids this direction. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and go that way. And I'd love to see that our event getting that college finals at some point. Oh, you, you know, know it's yeah. a, so that's the biggest thing with the high school rodeo we had talked about for years before it happened. But to me, the huge thing about high school rodeo is we went international overnight. Yeah, it's insane the reach that we got out of mm-hmm. that, and they're the kind of people that fit us. And the college thing would just be another step 
in the same direction. Yeah, and I think we'd be remiss in saying that uh, we could not do the high school rodeo deal without the support of Wind of Mars and Mars Equestrian. Oh, also, man. they've been yeah, wow. The the you know just uh, being able to uh, support in that kind of a fashion and to be able to reach that whole group of people that w- without that uh, backing maybe wouldn't be possible. Absolutely. Yeah. But at at that point, and the young people that are listening to this, you know, I've talked about some silly things I've done growing up and and always being involved. The one thing that I took real serious is when I went to college, I got my teaching credentials. I got a minor in biological science. And uh, I taught in college for about three years. And uh, I taught reproductive physiology and I taught the horse uh, production program, a couple other things. And I realized that that was not for me. I did want, I was at a turning point in my life. I either had to go full time to college and teach as a career or I had to train horses. And so I decided I was broke. I would stay broke and train horses. <laughs> <laughs> it's that poverty addiction yeah. again. Yeah. There it comes you know, out. you don't you don't ever want to get security because once you get it, then you're afraid to lose it. So you can't get too right. deep into the security <laughs> deal. Yeah, that but, plan that plan B can be yeah. a real hindrance sometimes. But what I'm saying is is when you're you know, the young people when they your dad and mom say, you know, you need to go on to go to school. Well, why should I go to school? Because I want to train horses. I want to, I can go to work for Chris and I can learn more. But the thing you've got to remember is you train horses for very wealthy people. You cannot sell yourself if you don't have a way to show that you're not just a, a bum. Yep. I don't know how to say that any different. Yep. If you, if you, if, and I'm not saying college is the answer. But you have to try to make yourself better. You have to be able to be able to talk to people. You have to have some some interest more than just training horses. And we all know this. We yeah, talk to sure. every one of us on this table probably talked and visit and have have done more with wealthier people than most people in the world. You know, that's and I'm not saying just wealthy, but intelligent people. Sure. People mm-hmm. that in their field are on top of it. Well, then you have to be on a level that they can be comfortable with visiting with yes i mean much more than just training horses you got to be able to go out to dinner with them you've got to you know you can't uh, you know put your food all over the table and not know how to eat i mean yeah, this sounds silly but no, you know you can't uh, you got to be able to know how to talk when uh, when the gentleman walks in that you're training horses for you got to be able to shake his hand look him in the eye and say how are you mr such and such You've got to take your hat off to his wife. You've got to show respect to people. And when you do that, that's your first step into being successful in this training. You can be the best trainer out there. You'd be a slob. You never Say you never wash your pants, your hair is down to your neck, and you look like a bum. And some guy walks in that's got running a multi-million dollar business, and you're wanting him to get a horse put in training with you. They're going to... I'm telling you, it ain't going to work. No. It will not work. You've, they've got to enjoy the social aspect of the training if they're spending money with you as well as your ability to train a horse. The two have to come together. Don't yeah, you guys agree with me? Not, oh, absolutely. And have that's to. A, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard balance, you know, because like I say, because we do get super competitive and you come to these horse shows and that's a lot of the place that a lot of your – owners and such are going to come watch their horse and they want to be able to spend a little time with you and it gets real hard especially if you've got a lot of them because i mean 
you know, we'll be at these horse shows. I mean, the first four days of this horse show, we're sleeping in three-hour shifts, yep. you know. And, I mean, there's just not a time to do it. And so it's a, that's a constant struggle, you know, and, and with the size of your business. You know, when it's, you know, early in your business, yeah, you've got plenty of time. You're showing up at the horse show with one horse. Well, yeah, we can go out to dinner. Heck, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's funny. But even then, town. Chris, even then, when you get a client, some of them first clients, and you know, a lot of them are professional people, just like Kenny said. They're they're professional people. Their life was so busy, they didn't get the time to ride. So they're wanting a little window into this. Yeah. So you have to be able to speak with them at a level where they're comfortable sending that horse to you. That's, That's right. like sending their it's like sending their kid to you or something. If you're like dumb and dumber, they're not going to be comfortable sending the horse. You, you've got to be a bridge between their professional life and what they want to enjoy. You, they can't just dumb down and come in there right. and trust you. You know, my wife is always after me because I'm like Russell says. I I go, you know, and uh, you know, I like I I decide that okay, I don't really need to school this horse. And I'm laying there in bed at 2 o'clock in the morning thinking, damn, I bet you Russell's out there. I bet you Chris is out there. I, I, I'm laying here sleeping. But what I'm saying is is you, you end up working yourself to death and you don't stop and take a deep breath and enjoy the situation. And when you have customers, I don't think we understand it as, uh, as individuals. You become their superstar. And I'm not, yes. I'm not blowing smoke. I'm saying that when a, when a woman has a horse or a man or a couple or a family or a ranch, when they have a horse that comes to this level, I'm this way too. I am damn proud of it. I want people to know it. You know, you take like Brother Jackson. He's like, he's like my buddy. You know, you, you mm -hmm. had a top sale rainmaker. Mm -hmm. You have your stallion. Uh, Traveling Jones. Jones. I mean, you're proud of him. And you don't, you want people to notice them. You want people to talk about them. So when these people send a horse to you, you have to remember that too. That's how they feel about their horse. And you have to treat it as such. It's not just another old horse. This is special. And if you've told them it was a good horse, you're bringing it to the show, then you have to treat them as special as you treat the horse too, because they're special. Mm -hmm. And buddy... When you have a customer that has three or four horses, this has happened to all of us, and you've maybe did something that you know probably wasn't right, and they pull those horses from you, and they go someplace else, it breaks your heart. Because mm. not only you have let yourself down, you've let your family down. Now that, you know, two horses or even one horse, but when you've got people that have three or four or five with you, and you've done something that you either didn't, Give them enough attention. You uh, thought you were bigger than life. Forgot that you're just a horse trainer. Right. A young cowboy. And you start strutting around, and then all of a sudden they go, you know, there's another place for these horses. Or maybe you don't, uh, this is, sounds silly, but maybe you put them on the walker one day, and it was raining, and you got in a hurry because you wanted to get in the house and have dinner, and you didn't wash their legs off. They happened to show up, and they got mud on them. didn't hurt the horse, but that person happens to walk in that barn and see that their horse wasn't taken care of. That's enough to break a deal right You're darn there. right. Dang sure is. You're Don't right. think it's not. And or go to dinner with them and get out of control and make them uncomfortable, and right. they leave. 
you know, as far as cr- it all crosses yeah. over, like you were talking before about having going to college and learn some manners. Yeah. All of those things will ruin that relationship. Ruin. It's not the training. It's hell. There's there's guys out there that can out train all of us. Have no social skills. They drink too much and they're drunks. Are they're one thing and another? Yeah. And they're over here and they can't hardly get a horse to ride. Yeah. Yeah. But you have so what I'm saying is is and, and Russell just brought up a good point to anybody, but especially young kids, our young people starting out. People are watching you continually, even when you don't know they're watching you. Mm-hmm. And every young person that is riding right now, that's working for somebody. I don't know who it is, but they'll be the potential next superstars. Mm-hmm. But all it takes is one night you get drunk on your butt and you waller around and act stupid and make too much noise or something, and somebody sees it and they say, oh, yeah, old Ken, he's, he's, he's just too wild. And you may not be no more than just having a good time. As you get older, you go to these parties that we have here. You're the one that drinks too much acts too stupid then there's always a feeling yeah oh you know there's times when we all party when we have right you know the other night after the the world's greatest you know i missed the finals by a point but you know i I marked a 19 or 20 in the steer rope and 220 i was happy i had a few pops i felt good (laughs) but i didn't do it to the point that i'm standing on the bar screaming and hollering yeah because i'm just saying that you as, as a young person, older person, or a trainer, you've got to realize that there's people that you don't know watching you. And I, and through my life, I've had people come to me. I didn't know at all that had enough money to change my life. And the reason they did is not because I, I don't, I'm talking on this thing, but I'm not a great big visitor. That's what I got Ramona for. She right. really visits good. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been honest my whole life to the point that if I don't think your horse is going to make it or it's not good, I'm going to tell you that. If you like it or not, I'd rather you go someplace else than me ride a horse when I know that I'm just spending your money. Yeah. And I'm going to treat your horse with respect. I'm going to always have the best feed I can afford for it and the best care I can take. And you don't have to have a a million dollar. We were looking at this place out here for $12 million. (laughs) You know, you don't have to have that. If you've got a six stall barn, five stall, four stall, or one stall are some pins. But you take the best care you can of those horses. Mm -hmm. You take when the customer comes. And the one thing about a customer, when you're given lessons, don't belittle the people. You know, I, I went to a, a NASCAR deal. Uh, my real dad drove race cars. Anyway, uh, he drove them quite a bit. And I, I think that's where I got my competitive spirit from is through him, which I never really knew him, but I just knew that's what he did. But anyway, I went to, uh, uh, when I was back at uh, Florida, I went to the Detain- uh, Daytona Speedway deal. Mm-hmm. And our, I guess it was at Disney World there. But anyway, right off that. And I did that race car experience, a Richard Petty driving <laughs> experience. Because I've always loved, I, I, can't, I couldn't fix a car if the tire blew out. But I loved driving cars. I never had a fast car. You know, in high school, I had a Rambler station wagon. So I like, <laughs> tore them up. But anyway, uh, so I was there and Mona said, you want to do it? Let's do it. So I did it. But the thing that impressed me from the time you walked into that place, they treated you like you were Richard Petty. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, you will do this. They have, they made you feel like a race car driver. When I got done, 
I thought I was going to go to Daytona and <laughs> race. But I remembered that from when people come to ride, they really want the cowboy experience. They want to be treated with respect. They don't want you talking down to them. And, you know, there's people that are just starting and you buy a good horse and you go, my God, you know, he's going to wreck this horse. But you don't want to ever tell people that, you know, you want to improve them so yes. they can do better. And as you go, the worst thing you can do is take somebody and make them feel inferior about, I don't care if they just started riding, find something you like about them. Like I said, less like a horse, you know, if they ride that day, make sure you tell them, you know, you really, you know, you really picked your leads up good. You know, he kept the horse right, kept him framed up. He stepped into it. Maybe everything else went to hell, but emphasize the good things, not the bad things. Because people aren't there to be criticized. They want you to tell them, and they want you to improve. And I get after my non-pros, and I've got really successful non-pros. And I really work with them because I want them to do well. Now, if somebody comes out, I'll say it. If they come out and they don't respect you, they don't respect your place, they try to tell you exactly how things are going to be, you can only put up with that so long. You cannot be... Because it will hurt your family life, it'll hurt your personal life, and you, you can't bow down to people. You have to treat them with respect, but they have to treat you with respect. Double-edged sword, huh, Kenny? Don't you guys agree with that? 100%. Absolutely. You yeah. can't live like that. No. I mean, that's one thing. To, like, we're talking a lot about being respectful and, and mind our manners around people that can help you, but at the same time, you, you can't be their lap dog. No, I mean it's your place. No, that's if it. it's if it's a quarter acre and, and just an arena, it's yours. Yeah. You can run them off. Yeah, when they show up and everybody feels like they got to walk on eggshells today because See this you. is here, man. I tell you what, those customers usually are the ones that come and go anyway. Right, and, so and just fine. Like I mean, that's better off thing. doing it on yeah. your own terms. Yeah, you just end it on your own terms. But that's it. you know, getting back to what you're talking about with the young kids, especially going and getting too drunk and making it in a situation sometimes they'll think well you know they don't know nobody knows they weren't there well don't you forget that all your customers are sitting there in that stands and no that's one right. knows who they are yeah and they're it. sitting mm -hmm. by somebody and you ride in they're like man this guy's a complete moron you should, he did this he did that so your behavior is not limited to only those who see and hear you Absolutely, and, I, and I'm. Uh, I think we're all the, kind of wild, but you, you never know what your where next you, customer is coming right. from. Yeah. You never know Absolutely. where that next customer who is going to bring you that horse that's going to change your life. And he hears, he hears one person say something bad about him, stands, and he just or, or five people, or, yeah. but yeah. they're so happy that when their rider rides in, someone next to him says, "Hey, you know that is really a good guy. Yeah, yep. He works hard. He tries hard. Even if you don't do good, like Kenny said, that's." You're that guy's link to that arena, and they want to be proud of, sure. of the way you're representing them. Yeah, then you can make a mistake and live with it. Yep. But if you're a big shot son of a gun, you make a mistake, you're the first one out. Yep. Yes. But, you know, the other thing I'll say for young guys that are listening to this, when you work for somebody and you respect what they're doing, now I mean if a guy's not treating you right, that's different. But I have a deal in my barn, you ride for the brand. If I'm working for Chris Dawson or I'm working for Russell, I'm Russell's man. I'm going to try to do – you're there to make him win, not you win. And 
you you need to make it so that he but he's got to treat you good too and you're there to learn you're there to learn more than just training but how to handle people how to be be around but i can remember way back when i first started i wanted to be with the in crowd i wanted to be part of all this but i had no link to it because it didn't work for anybody until i met mm-hmm. bobby ingersoll and he took me under his wing and he introduced me to people so i remember a lot of the techniques that bobby used training but the greatest thing he did for me he introduced me to people i got to know uh well all the the people you always hear about all the mm-hmm. hall of famers basically through bobby and then through them and then one thing and another and so when you're working for somebody you have a chance to get involved and you don't realize how much that helps you until you never have the chance if you hadn't ever had the chance i guess and you're out there trying to ride horses and you're trying to get involved in it it's really hard because you don't even you just feel such an outside mm-hmm. feeling but once you step into it you find out people are wanting to help you but the people you meet and you may meet somebody that five years six years down the road comes back and says yeah i you know, I remember you, you worked for Chris and boy, he really liked you. Yes. You know, you did a great job for him. I remember him talking, you know, I got some horses. I got a place now. Uh, yes. Would you be interested in come out and training for me? He says, you know, and I'll talk to Chris, you know, this thing holds for a long time, mm-hmm. but you have to, the worst thing a young person can do is undercut their own trainer. Yep. If they're working oh, for them or, the or something that you, that say, Chris is doing, and all these trainers get together and they tell Russell, you know what Chris is doing? You see him do this with his horse? Oh, he turned that sucker upside down. He did this. He did that. Those are things that stay on the ranch. Not that you do that, but I'm myself. If it was me that had done something, there's always something that happens that during your training program that maybe didn't turn out quite like you liked, and but it wasn't no big deal. But are something with your family? And, yeah. but it needs to stay on the ranch. You guys need to keep, you know, like the old, I, I don't know how to put it in mother. You ride for the brand. Yeah. And you it's cowboy you code. It, that's it. It's, it's got to stay that way. And people remember that about you. If you're that guy, that's always got to go run some gossip to get attention yep. in the circle. Yeah. Pretty soon. Nobody really wants you around. Nobody needs you working for them. No, you know, they don't need it. You know, the, you guys mentioned some guys that work for me. The one thing they all had in common, they didn't talk too much. They worked hard, kept their head down. When they met somebody, it was yes, sir, no, sir. They had a lot of respect, and every one of them has been successful. Yep. yep. I know some kids that did a lot of drugs, screwed around, were big shots. I can't remember their names. Right. Our high school rodeoed with tons of them. They had all the talent. They had everything at that age, and they got off on that other road, and no one knows them. Yep. And they should have been. Uh, the superstars. We're gonna have to yep, wrap, wrap up. Yeah. it. We could go on for yeah. hours. We could sit in here for I'd like hours. to finish with one thing. I have a big banner at my place and it sums up my training. And Chuck Knowles, the football coach, is his saying. It says champions are not champions <sighs> because they do anything special. It's because they do the basic things better than anybody else. Yeah. That's, that's a what good training's one. about. That's a yeah. good ender right there. That's a good one. Yep, outstanding. Well, we can't thank Kenny Wold enough for coming in here. We have to get him again. 
Oh, that's uh, fun. Yep. Yep. Outstanding. Yeah. Thank you, Kenny. All right. Thank you, guys. See Good luck today for okay. Pierce. Okay, yeah. Bye. Yeah. See ya. Thank you for listening to Cow Horse. Full contact. Please like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram to stay tuned for future episodes.